Well, check your live tweets I'm, and then I'm air home. Yes. And oh, Tally, you got a personal assistant. Yes. I'm just waiting for the live stream to start here. One second. Okay. There it is. Okay. So now we can pin the live stream to the top. And pin. check the hand raise too, by the way. Okay. Yep. We got the tardy kids. Here we go. John and Sharon, Craig and David. Okay, and some so, uh, a whole new face here, Lawrence. Lawrence Walton. Hello, sir. My name is Lawrence Walton. I'm from Texas. I'm an en I'm an energy engineering. I'm an energy engineering. You engine there? Uh, maybe engineer? there's. I think he means engineer. Or maybe he means he's an engineering. Maybe that's a whole new thing, a new category. If this says engineering, he's probably saying he's an engineering student. Mm. Ah. Yeah. Okay. But the word student's not there. But that's all right. Well, I invited him up and then he disappeared. Okay. Mm. Oh, Messi's here. Messi's here. Messi's here. Okay. And then just checking through the audience, see who else is late here. And then, you know what? I don't think James has ever jumped up on stage. And. But we're both from LA, and we're both have roots in the music biz. I and think. he's super cool. Yeah, must be the Mexican food that brought her, brought him up. Yeah, <laughs> he heard us talking about Mexican food, maybe. Anyway, um, so uh, and then we we have friend, mutual friends in Stockholm and in LA and everywhere, but uh, we've actually never met in real life. And then we've got the headlines we got to get through. Anyone burning with a hot one they want to make sure we get into before I read through the top stories of the moment? Tyler, just hey, Tyler, a yep. I've just been watching. Sorry, I've just been watching Francis Hogan talking to the British Parliament. About what? Oh, Francis Hogan. Yes, she did meet with the British yeah. Parliament. Yes. Yeah, and some of those MPs know their stuff, eh? Hey? Yeah. And they know what's going on. Yes. A lot of stuff coming out there. I think we're going to get into that in the top headlines here in a second. Yep. And the, John, you were saying? Yeah, Tyler, real quick before we get started, can you just spend 30 seconds? I know you've referenced many times your your background with the music, but I, yeah. I'm very curious yeah. exactly what you, what, you know, about your, about your band and about yourself yeah. and the band. Sure. So, so. Hey, PTR in uh, five seconds. PTR in five seconds. Oh, you're going to show my old photo. Oh, so. Um, better be bald. I was. I started out being a technician and a, and a tour manager for a lot of bands, and went on tour all over the U.S. Uh, starting as a technician and then kind of graduating to be a tour manager, and for a lot of some very big bands, and um, and then between tours started my own group, and then we got to deal with capital, and then. That didn't last very long, honestly. It got a little crazy, a little political, a little uh, ridiculous even. And um, so that didn't really lead anywhere. And then I, that's that's pretty much it. So you yeah. were a lead. Were you, uh, what was your position in the band? I was mainly like co I would songwrite or co-songwrite. And uh, yeah, guitar was my main thing. Yeah, John, cool. PTR, yeah. you'll see the I, I would actually yeah, say, I, saw it. It's awesome. I, I would actually, I would actually say my main thing was uh, booking the shows, building the website, building the email list, building the fan base. 
and building the business of it and even the merch and all that. Cause I had a clothing company throughout that at the, as well. And I knew tech, I knew how to build a website. So when you, it turns out that having a band is a lot more than just writing songs and rehearsing. You have to build an audience. You have to have a product. You have to have product market fit. You have to do distribution, which is touring. You have to do all the exact same things that startups do essentially. And that was my focus actually was kind of all of the, all of the, you know, man, you know, very hands-on stuff, uh, which, you know, the business side of it, I guess I thought was, I, I really enjoyed that side of it. So. Which I'm sure excelled your career. Yeah. There's, there's, now. it's funny. There's a, and you know, when bands meet each other, there's usually somebody else in the group who's kind of the, you know, business mind in the group, you know, and, and it's, it's, most people don't know who that person is, but I, James, by the way, I, I tried to invite you up on stage and it's not letting you up on stage. I'm, it's a bug. Tyler. Yes. There is a little bit of breaking news from Poland and the EU and the Dutch Ruto minister, prime minister. Yeah. Poland warns EU against starting third world war and row over justice reforms. Nationalistic lead, nationalist leader threatens to deploy veto to block key decisions. Poland's leader warned that we, he would defend our rights with any weapons which are at our disposal if the European Commission starts the Third World War by freezing funds in a row over judicial independence. Right. I'm Basically, happy. Yeah. They're, they're delaying the approval of the $36 billion in EU pandemic recovery funding amid threats to a delay of an additional $21 billion in funds unless the Polish government backs down in a battle over supremacy of the European Court of Justice. And Reuter and a couple of other countries are, well, Reuter wants them to be removed their voting rights out of the EU, and Germany and France are still wanting to give, give Poland a chance to sort of come to the table. But Netherlands is being like, no, this is unacceptable. We should remove their voting rights. So it's uh, getting a little heated over here. In yes. Europe. Yeah, and so for those who aren't following this, the Poland ruled that its court uh, kind of takes precedence over the EU court. And the EU says, no, 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 that's Article 1 of joining the EU. <laughs> that's called Article 1 and Article 19. And so there was a, a, a gathering of the EU um, prime ministers recently. I watched this on video about uh, over the weekend. And... The president from um, the prime minister from Poland made his whole point, you know, that, uh, yeah, back in Poland, we have a decision that uh, we, our own rules trump the EU's rules. And then the one of the heads of the EU commission says, I listened to you speak for 30 minutes very closely. And, you know, uh, that doesn't work. That's uh, called Article 1 of joining the EU was, no, the EU court has, is the Supreme Court of the land, and we can dictate what you do in your country. And it's we need this and all and all, all the other countries. Angela Merkel was there. She made a comment. The head of the Dutch guy made a comment, and he was really pissed that Poland's Good doing time. this. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's because you'd have to understand to the, who holds the heavy seats in the EU around finances to the EU. It's actually Germany. I believe yeah. it's Germany, yep. Netherlands and France. So like the three top ones who have the most money in there are those. Th and I could be wrong. So uh, this is just from study and visiting the EU. I remember Netherlands was quite, quite in there. Yeah. So here's the quote. France calls Poland's court ruling an attack against EU. 
So just by reading all, there's so many headlines coming out of Europe around this. So for example, one headline that just came out is Poland tests the EU's future. Poland, and from the economist, Poland is a problem for the EU precisely um, because it won't play along. Bloomberg says, will Poland leave the EU? Um, and now the latest headline is that the Polish prime minister says that the EU is putting a gun to our head. And what he's referring to, of course, is the uh, the money. But it says Poland's prime minister has accused the EU of putting a gun to our head by demanding his country reverse judicial reforms while threatening sanctions in an interview with the Financial Times, meaning you either fix that crazy ruling that you decided on, which is totally antithetical and violates Article 1 of joining the EU, or we're going to sanction your stupid ass. And then, so the article continues, Poland is involved in a bitter confrontation with the EU over a series of controversial judicial reforms. Brussels believes, Brussels is slang for the EU, just like Washington is slang for America or whatever. So Brussels believes the reforms hamper democratic freedoms, but Poland says that they are needed to root out corruption among judges. In an FT interview, Prime Minister of Poland urged the EU to reverse its decision to attack, uh, to ask the European Court of Justice to fine Poland over the reforms. This would be the wisest thing they can do because then we are not talking to each other with a gun to our head. Ask if Poland might veto EU decisions in retaliation, he said, what is going to happen, he asks the question, what is going to happen if the European Commission will start the Third World War? If they start the Third World War, we are going to defend our rights with any weapons which are at our disposal. Ah, so there, there he's kind of claiming, and that's kind of dangerous rhetoric for a prime minister to throw around, that he's metaphorically saying they're starting a world war. Again, very irresponsible to even use that as a metaphor in this context. And he's saying, well, if they start a world war against us, then of course we're going to defend ourselves. Essentially saying, oh, yeah, we might. <laughs> So the the question was would um, would po might Poland veto EU decisions? And he said, "Yeah, we're not ruling that out. We're not ruling anything out. If you're going to put a gun to our head, we're not, we're not ruling anything out." So he's very stupidly escalating this friction with the EU, which he doesn't need to do. He's bringing uh, problems against himself in a really odd way. And in that video that I watched. You know, one of the heads of the EU Commission made the point that do you realize they're calling it Polsec, uh, Pol Polexic, by the way, just like Brexit was for Britain, Polish exit, Polexit, Polexit. That's the name of it. And because he said, you know, you're claiming the initial same claims that Britain claimed in leading in, that the whole Bre the pro hard Brexit folks uh, felt the same way you do and made the same points. And so this looks like you basically want to leave the EU. And, of course, the EU doesn't want Poland to leave, actually. Um, so it's it's peculiar. I don't know the, the deep nuance essences of of the issue. We, we might need some Polish. Poland has, I, I know one of my girlfriends has moved, was, Poland's been very interesting during the pandemic here in Amsterdam because there were a number, if you could look at the, the picks and shovels, most of the construction that's done in 
Netherlands and in parts of Brussels, obviously, in this area, is from Polish people that also come in to do the construction and mason work. And also during the pandemic, they were still traveling back and forth, rebuilding and actually doing a lot of the renovations on the corporations, the homes, the expensive homes, all that other stuff. But also they started shutting down the borders quite a lot and becoming more strict in Poland, which meant it was really hard to get there unless you had a private person bringing you by car and vice versa. So it was a bit odd because there wasn't really a lot of, um, they weren't really allowing a lot of tra travel, if any at all, between Netherlands and Poland, even though yeah, it was very weird. It was very sort of very strange because my girlfriend's, her family's there and she even said it. It was very weird when she went home for Christmas during the pandemic because she said it was like they were locked up indoors in Poland and like the cops were patrolling the streets and it was really, really, she said it felt very, very weird. And she was grateful to be back in Netherlands, but now she even said, I'm not going back to Poland because it didn't feel comfortable when I was there and it just seems like things are getting a little bit more worse for the people that are living there. So I think there's more interesting stuff. So if you find someone who's living or on the ground there, I think that'd be interesting. So the, the main issue is that several EU leaders at the summit I was talking about on the video said that Brussels, meaning the EU, should not release 36 billion euros in pandemic recovery money that Poland badly wants while the issue is unresolved. Yeah, I don't, I, I mean, my mother's Polish, my whole mother's family, the entirety of it's Polish. So, um, and I love Poland. It's one of my favorite places to visit. The best trips I've ever had in my life were in Poland. Like, easily the, my favorite trips I've ever had have been in Poland. So I, I adore the place. I love the place. I, it's my, I consider it family. But I gotta say, I agree. Like, when you have a country you know, acting kind of irresponsibly. Uh, let's let's hold this thirty-six billion dollars until you start acting a little more in sync with this EU, who's you know supposed to be handing you this thirty-six billion dollars. Although I will happily concede, I know next to nothing about this, honestly, other than having watched, uh, you know, taken a short five-minute degree from YouTube University. So, um, top headlines. We'll jump into it. And James, feel free to, I think being it's your first time in for, oh, Michael's back, everybody. Welcome back, Michael. What's up, bro, bro? What's up, dude? And What's up, Michael? So, hey. here's how, for anyone who might be new, uh, like our uh, our friend James, who is his first time on stage, how it works is we run through the news. There's no, it's, 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 it's popcorn, toss-up, anyone can jump in anytime. With one notable exception, it's ladies first. So if you hear a lady's voice, just let, let her go first. Other than that, it, it gets sometimes it gets hot. There's disagreements. We try and keep it respectful, even though it gets heated, because we meet every day. Not only do we meet every day, we meet twice a day, three hours each time for a total of six hours a day. Nearly everyone on stage, we've been doing this for over six months, six hours a day. We know each other very, very well. So if you sense that things are getting a little overly heated, I can assure you we have our own, we've developed our own this uh, dysfunctional family ways of addressing these things. <laughs> so worry not. Uh, we've had m many heated arguments over, over the months. And uh, at the end of the day, there's a lot of mutual respect. And so don't worry. The, if you see fists starting, if somebody slaps somebody, it's not, it probably, you know, things happen. I'll, Never people mind get, the spittle. It's yeah, people, people get bruised. There's you a little... sound bites, Tyler, there's some, for that stuff. You know, you might, somebody might foul somebody on their way to making a shot. So 
anyway, that's how it works. So the top story at this moment happens to be from The Verge, and it says, internal documents show. Is that not the, the before I read what the internal documents show, my God, is that not the, every big article we've read, by the way, half the articles we're going to read for the next hour start with the phrase internal documents show, because there's just all kinds of leakage happening everywhere. And a lot of these are uh, documents are from Francis Hagen, who somebody mentioned a minute ago, it spoke before the UK lawmakers today, and she leaked so many documents that to the Wall Street Journal that they don't have time to go through them. That's how many she's leaked. So the Wall Street Journal is sharing crowdsourcing with their other journalist friends over at the Wall Street Time and Bloomberg and Politico and the Washington Post and on and on and on. And obviously The Verge, because now The Verge has documents. That's the headline. And these documents show that Facebook is struggling to attract American users under the age of 30 with U.S. teenage users declining by 13% since 2019. And you're Tyler, stunned. You've been saying this for how long, right? You, like, you are stunned. I can, hear, I can hear the shock. I can hear the shock just gripping everybody with the intense realization that, Facebook, that kids aren't using Facebook. You're stunned. I, you're speechless. I know I am too. I mean, this is like UFOs just landed on the White House lawn and kids aren't using Facebook. They're kind of equal. I have trouble That's figuring out. We're going to do Instagram kids before they got, you know, right. sidetracked. Right. Yes. So kids don't use Facebook. And you said, yep. And today's uh, Monday, October 25th. What else is new? Why is that even a headline? It isn't a headline. It's not a headline at all. You already knew this. The whole world knows this. This is by no means a secret. So that begs the question, why is The Verge writing a headline that says Facebook is struggling to attract American users under the age of 30 with U.S. teen, with US teenage usage declining 13% by 2019? Um, well, it's because they, The Verge and The Wall Street Journal and all of these publications make their money from advertisements and so does facebook and do you it, even see any mention of tiktok in that article we, let's see that's a great question that's a good question we'll get into that so before i read the article it's worth noting why all of these why is the wall street journal sharing the thousands of documents that they were given by francis Hogan, the whistleblower to their competitors the wall street journal the new york times the washington post the verge vice on and on and on because they all share an intense hatred for Facebook because Facebook stole their lunch money. All the advertisers that used to advertise with them are spending their money on Facebook. But they're not going to tell you that's why they're attacking Facebook. No, no, no. They will never once reveal, actually, we're a competitor with this. You know, we've written now 50 articles in the last month. Every day we wake up and there's 10 new articles attacking Facebook. It's and it's a question, though. Of course. Sure and, that the, yeah. Go ahead. I'll finish your and not, never once in any of those 50 articles will they mention we're competing. This is our main competitor who's kicking our ass financially. Go ahead. Are you sure that that's where they're getting the documents from and the documents didn't become publicly yes. available? After... Yes. Yeah. They're very transparent about where the source of the documents. Oh, wow. Okay. So the headline it, from... The big one today is Facebook's lost generation. They're called the Verge is calling it the world's largest social network is internally grappling with an existential crisis 
and aging user base. Earlier this year, a researcher at Facebook shared some alarming statistics with colleagues. This is the internal document. Teenage users of the Facebook app in the U.S. have declined by 13% since 2019 and, and were projected to drop 45% over the next few years, driving an overall decline in daily users in the company's most lucrative ad market. Young adults between the ages of 20 and 30 were expected to decline by 4% during the same time frame. Making matters worse, the younger a user was, the less on average they regularly engaged with the app. The message was clear. Facebook was losing traction with younger generations fast. The aging now, they have the unenvious task of writing an entire blog post about something absolutely obvious and trivial that you don't need. To, there's not much. They got to try and turn this into a very interesting article, which is very hard to turn the sky is blue into an interesting article. But um, I'm going to tweet this one out so you can see it with your own eyeballs, as we always do to the Tech News Twitter account, so you can save it and, and pass it along to your friends so they can be shocked to learn, just like you were, that Facebook's, that kids aren't using Facebook. The aging up is a real issue, it says in the breakout. So why is this relevant for them now? And to your, to another, let's get back to your first question about TikTok. I just did a Google search on the page for the word TikTok, and it appears three times. Here's the three contexts by which they mentioned TikTok. And this is very relevant because TikTok is where the kids are going. This, and, and, and there's a lot more to unpack in that. It says, at the same time, a rising crop of young, younger social networks has continued growing in popularity with young people, a phenomenon Facebook has closely tracked with its own research. In an internal presentation earlier this year, employees estimated that teens spend two to three times more time on TikTok than on Instagram, and that Snapchat is the preferred method of communicating with best friends for young people. Here's the quote. Our products are still widely used by teens, but we face tough competition from the likes of Snapchat and TikTok says Joe Osborne, a Facebook spokesperson, said in a response to questions about the documents cited in this story. Oh, kudos to you, Verge. You actually did a little bit of that old classic journalism. And when you saw that document that said that young people were not using Facebook, you reached out to Facebook for a comment. And they did give you a comment. And that's the comment they gave you. Our products are still widely used, but we face tough competition from the likes of Snapchat and TikTok. Holy cow. Breaking news, everybody. Has anyone heard of this thing? Snapchat and TikTok? Apparently kids are using it. Boy, The Verge is really bringing the news today. October 25th, this just in. There's a couple of hot new apps. Snapchat and TikTok, and the kids are using it. Wow. Woo. So, Tyler, it's not as sexy, but why doesn't Facebook, and I don't know if Michelle is in the audience, but... Why don't they target the like baby boomer generation? I mean, my mother, my aunts, their first cousins, a couple of uncles, my dad lurks on my mother's page, my 94-year-old great aunt, they are all over the Facebook, you know. You know, if there's breaking news within the family, you know, it's like, "Oh, was that on Facebook?" So, it's not as sexy as going after the young demographic, but my sense is that seniors are really using it and you know, their usage has grown throughout the pandemic, you know, particularly within families that are accustomed to having family reunions and getting together, Facebook has become kind of the digital format for them to stay connected with their families. Um, 
So, so, so yeah, it's not as sexy as going after the 13, 15, 17, 21 year old market, but I believe that there is a market in the baby boomer generation. Well, I'm looking at that, Leticia, the average age of Facebook (laughs) at this point is 40.9 years old. So it is the baby boomers and um, the Gen X's that are there. It's Gen X. That's X, yeah. Yeah. And so I think the issue here is that what is Facebook telling their institutional investors about where their market share is? Yeah. And I think that's a larger question. Yep. Well, I think also with the baby boomer, baby boomers, you know, because I know a, a lot of parents, grandparents, whomever are on Facebook, but they're less likely to like click through and actually take advantage of the advertising and the and the model, right? Because they don't, they have the fear of the internet still, but they're comfortable enough looking at their grand grandkids on Facebook. So that's, I think that's, that's correct. Culture. As a as a baby boomer, you know, we're not interested in the in the adverts. You know, we're looking at what friends and family are doing, you know, very briefly. And um, yeah, and that's not what Facebook doesn't want us baby boomers. It wants the young people who get a buy stuff. So Michelle, yeah, we don't consume. We don't consume as much. We're done buying. Francine nailed it. Advertisers want the young kids who are buying shit. That's that's how the pyramid works. And uh, Buana, I see you on mic, so jump in. Michelle just, oh, there she is. So Michelle, for those who don't know, is one of our regular daily Team members here who happens to work at Facebook and is brilliant as usual and helps us understand the bigger picture, um, which is incredibly helpful, especially when journalists are on their journalistic jihads and, you know, screaming. Um, And Michelle brings some rational additional context, which is always mysteriously missing from these articles. So I'm curious what, what you're thinking, Michelle. I was um, I was actually going to say to um, Lakeisha's point. Um, I I think the way maybe it would help to kind of understand the way we're looking at it. It's more like there are different use cases for each users on Facebook. There are those who spend a lot of time on their actual newsfeed, and those only spending time sometimes just in groups for different activities. And uh, we also have Facebook gaming. And interesting enough, those are actually users that would go to other gaming platforms. I'm not going to name the largest gaming platforms, but um, there was also a report that showed that Facebook became the second largest gaming platform uh, last quarter. So it just goes to show that every single user, even on the blue app, still has a different um, use case, why they come on the app. But um, I think the way we're really looking at it is more like, how do we connect these different communities and uh, how do we give a reason to users for whatever reason they come on the platform to still come there and have their, some people just watch videos, weirdly enough, on the Facebook watch section, you know. So it's kind of more like an ecosystem. And um, similarly, people use WhatsApp, but they won't use Instagram or Facebook, for instance. So we're kind of looking at it more like a family of apps with different users doing different um yeah, just having different behaviors across those apps. So I, I don't know if that answers the question, but we're really looking at it more like an ecosystem. Yeah, no, that's, that's, absolutely. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to ask, is from, from my little meanderings over the years with e-commerce and stuff, I know that mothers 
are very uh, pivotal and lead the commerce of a whole range of items and through time, through history and across platforms have been one of the most lucrative segments. So if we if we're if we're kind of looking at who who's driving the uh, the business model financially, is it is it like mothers or boomers or is it really the younger kids? I mean, the younger the problem with the not targeting younger kids is you get all that competition that's been you know they've been losing a lot of market share too. Can you speak to just kind of like some of the segments that do deliver? Um, I know it's somewhere in their in their filings, but can you share just a little bit of that? Uh, yeah, I can be too specific on that on on that question, but also I I just want to highlight this is a very uh, Western centric view because in emerging markets, interestingly enough, uh, the Facebook blue app is still one of the main app across generations. You know, so that's very yeah, uh, totally true. I would say in India, Facebook is crazy running. <laughs> so there's another point I want I want to highlight here. The top. Well, I can't believe this is unbelievable. This is unpre- something I've never seen before in doing tech news around the world. The top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Tyler, I opened up my Google News, and the top one is uh, Facebook shares Facebook. under pressure. Mm-hmm. When you look at the stock, it's like yep. flat. You know, okay. they're, they're trying to drum up the hate. Yeah, the top twelve articles at the moment are. All start with the word internal documents, and they're all about Facebook because all the journalists are trying to dogpile and create a dumpster fire on Facebook. So watch how they do this. So I'll watch. I'll read the headlines very quickly in quick succession and the publication, and tell me if this is not a coordinated jihad on Facebook. Okay, and they're all based on internal documents. Like the one that we first read, that holy cow, holy, and the biggest one of them all up today is holy smolies, American uh, teenagers aren't using Facebook. I know, I know, call a loved one if you need support, uh, you know, if you, if, if I know the, the, the sky is falling when you hear that headline, uh, I know it's truly yeah, unbelievable. You're going to remember where you were when Tyler you, told you. <laughs> We this had, edition of Tech News Around the World is brought to you by Depends. Yes. <laughs> so the second one is from Politico. Internal documents show that Facebook had no clear playbook for handling the dangerous content delegitimizing the U.S. elections ahead of the January 6th riots. Okay. Next one, internal documents show misgivings by employees about Facebook's lobbying and government relations operation, which regularly weighs in on speech issues. Next one, in Facebook documents show, internal Facebook documents show, this from Bloomberg, the last one was Politico, internal documents show time spent by U.S. teenagers was down 16% year over year. Next one, internal Facebook documents show employees touted its scale and dominance in presentations, including showing 78% of U.S. adults and nearly all teen use use its services. Next one, Washington Post. Internal documents show um, detail about Mark Zuckerberg's decision to prioritize growth over safety, including censoring anti-state posts in Vietnam. Well, you don't have a choice. Vietnam, we covered those headlines months ago in real time. 
Vietnam says. Tyler, if you keep looking, you're going to find an article that says Facebook has no idea how many users it has. I saw that over the weekend okay. somewhere. Here, here we go. I can't remember. Next one. Associated Press. Internal documents show issues with moderating non-English speech leading to inflammatory language in Afghanistan, bans on common words in Palestine, and more. Next one, internal documents show. It's uh, opaque tier, this is from The Verge, it's opaque tier system for providing protection to users in certain countries, leaving gaps in Myanmar, Pakistan, and Ethiopia. Next one, CNN, internal documents show. Facebook has known it has a problem related to human trafficking content for people working inside private homes, but still hasn't fixed it. Next one, New York Times. Internal documents show Facebook struggles with violence inciting content in India, including failure to designate some politically connected groups as dangerous. Next one, Wired. Internal documents show farewell posts by some Facebook employees detail disappointment and dissatisfaction with a company unwilling or unable to change. Next one, um, internal documents show how Facebook from New York Times. Internal documents show how Facebook discussed hiding the like button to alleviate stress and anxiety, but users interacted and shared fewer posts. And there you go. So, you know, the 4th of July when you have um, fireworks and then there's the finale. You know it's the finale because <laughs> you know none of the them finale. are to a theme. Well, the it's finale. Theme, right? This is the finale, I think. Maybe. Well, they might I have mean, a bigger it- finale. Aren't they supposed to like name their their new brand today? Ah, uh, yes, you're right about that. So, the is Facebook Connect today, JT? Facebook has a annual kind of what do we call it? Uh, AR VR event for Oculus that they call uh, Facebook Connect. Michelle, that's expected to be when? October 28th. So in three, that's Wednesday or Thursday. And it's suspected uh, that they will be an, announce it at that event. And, and, and did you it, even cover how the news outlets got their leaked documents from members of Congress or committee staff, which has helped publications avoid potential liability for publish, uh, publishing, publicizing illegal um, obtained material from well, Facebook? Yeah. That's what I was asking. Where they got the information from? Was it from uh, from the Wall Street Journal or or from other? They sources? got it from Congress and committee staff. I've never heard of such a thing. Is that even possible? Oh yeah, all the time. They used to when Trump was in office, it, they'd have a break, and whatever they were discussing would be on the news, literally, so here, and then they'd back here, it from the break. Here's here's a point to ponder, which is these internal documents. There is. Michelle, how many people work at between Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp? Uh, well, like I think total numbers, we are, yeah, I would say close to 60 plus, 60K plus. But okay. also, I think people also need to understand we have something called workplace. It looks like Facebook within Facebook. So the level of transparency is just mind blowing. So you pretty much see everything. Right. So, so I think it makes it more accessible. Right. Well, that's Facebook is very unique in that even though there's 60,000 people across multiple companies like Instagram and WhatsApp and Oculus and et cetera, and you have 60,000 people who have access to each other's documents because historically, They've never, that's never really been a problem. They've never really been worried about that. 
And then Frances Hogan decides she doesn't like Facebook. Uh, she wants to leave and spent an extra month hoovering up as many documents as she could. And she hoovered up thousands, according to the New York Times. And, and she said herself that she, I'm not I'm not making any claims here. I'm reporting. I'm just reiterating what was reported by her own admission that she spent an extra month to acquire as many documents as possible to then share with the Wall Street Journal, which she did. And that's a whole lot of documents. And they said thousands and thousands and thousands of documents, which makes sense because it's 60,000 plus people all sharing documents all day long. And when you have 60,000 people working on anything, anywhere, anytime, all sharing documents all day long, dozens of documents each per day, each day. So what's 60,000, 10 documents each per day? You're talking 60, uh, 600,000 documents per day. Over the course of a year, you're talking millions of documents per year. Over five years, you're talking mil tens of millions of documents. Yeah. Now, these employees at these companies have freedom of speech and they debate all of these issues that we debate just like we do about should we block people in Vietnam? What about Myanmar? What about Afghanistan? What about this? What about that? What about that? On and on and on and on and on endlessly. And then Facebook has to make a decision. And then Facebook makes an, a, a formal decision and a policy of what they're going to do. Before the policy is made, there's tons of debate. So when a Facebook employee says X, this might be totally opposite of what they decided to do as a company. And a lot of these internal documents show, internal documents show that employees touted its scale and dominance and presentations, internal documents show that uh, uh, how they had decisions to censor anti-state posts in Vietnam. Yeah, you don't have a choice in Vietnam. Vietnam tells you, you either censor our government critics or you get out of our country, that they're incredibly painfully clear about that. So you don't have a choice, nor do you have a choice in China, as LinkedIn just found out. And that's why LinkedIn just had to leave China. And Facebook had to remove anti-state posts in Vietnam. Facebook has no choice in that matter. That was not a decision. Facebook has no voice, no vote in that election. Vietnam says you remove these comments by these anti-state posts or you remove yourself or we will remove you from Vietnam. Super clear that it doesn't get more clear than that. So the Washington Post writing an article about internal Facebook documents about uh, censorship of anti-state posts in Vietnam. Yeah, no social network has any choice in Vietnam about uh, leaving anti-state comments on their publications. That you don't have an option. I understand maybe the Washington Post isn't operating in Vietnam, but I assure you if they were, there would be no comments on their, <laughs> there would be no articles that are anti-Vietnam in Vietnam. So Viet, uh, onward and onward and onward, Facebook uh, documents show um, this and this and all kinds of stuff that, that a all, there was all kinds of ideas and thoughts going through the heads of Facebook employees endlessly. That doesn't really add up to much, and that's probably why 
if we go over and look up the Facebook stock ticker and we look at the stock today, it's down a whopping 0.2%. Tyler, can I ask a question? Yes. So it's it's a multi issue and it's it it does sound like there could be different motivations by a by a bunch of the media. This this is a big uh, treasure trove of, of of stories to potentially write. So there there's some understanding of why you see a, a surge of articles because there's so many articles and so much potential stuff in there. But just just, just taking a step back, wh- how do how do we draw the line, or or how how should companies or should they not at all draw the line? I mean that's. I think at the end of the day, um, do they draw a line, right? I, I think in, the, in an article from last week, it looks like Apple's been doing the best to stay in China relative to some of these other companies, other fangsters. Um, so I, I just wanted to, if you wanted to kind of broach that a little bit, it's very, it's a tough subject on that part of it, right? But um, anyways, I just wanted to to throw that in there. To, yeah, to, to Chris's point, Chris, can you find this the article that says Facebook uh, in, I, there are articles today it's that a, say... It's a CNBC article. I'll um, send it in the back channel. But basically, when can I you read it this morning... What does it say? Read it the says, headline. Uh, you know, Facebook shares under pressure, you know, mm-hmm. and then when I clicked, when I clicked it, it, you know, it talked about the shares being under pressure, but you look at the ticker and it was actually up. Right. It opened at $320 a share and went up to three uh, at the opening when the public market opened, when they when they rang the bell in the morning, it went from 320 in the morning up to 326. And now it's just Zuckerberg buying share, buying everything so it doesn't flatten out or what? Mm, Hard to say. A little research would scratch on that, but I mean, there's systemic risk and unique risk in different stocks and how they how they move. I mean, so the point there is just simply is simply is 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 the effect I'm trying trying to get our head around measuring the effect. Well, I'm I'm seeing several articles that show uh, Facebook in turmoil, Facebook uh, under fire, Facebook, uh, you know. And this is going on like a, a month now, right? When yes. they had that outage, what was it, two, three weeks ago, their stock remained flat. Like their their stock just doesn't go down. Well, I think I think what they might have been referring to is like back in September, their stock was up to about three hundred and eighty bucks a share. Right now it's at three hundred and twenty three. So so that I don't know if what Chris read if that meant, you know, under pressure typically they don't they're not talking about real time. They're talking about like over the course of the last you know, 30 to 90 days, potentially. So it has gone down. Yes. I want, well, it's tracking the overall market pretty closely. Uh, yeah. that, that's the thing to do. My, is, my point is, it was the top, at least for my Google News Feed, it was the top headline. So, you know, when you see that, you're thinking, oh, crap, did, did they drop a quarter? Did they drop 10%? You know, and, yeah. you know, you, you'd expect like a big red Chiron at the top saying, oh, breaking news, Facebook, tank, Facebook stock tanking, you know, and. It's almost like they, they, they coordinated the news, expected a response, and when, you know, the market opened, it didn't go the way they were expecting, and, you know, it's like Tyler and I exactly. making a prediction and it going wrong. There is a drop uh, on 22nd October. Yeah, the whole market went down, Cheryl. That's why I said you have to compare it with the market. So my over, when you do a comparison of Facebook with the uh, QQQ 
uh, NFT, which is the, the tech market, which is the NASDAQ. When you compare Facebook with the NASDAQ over the past six months, they're essentially equal. Year to date, equal. Past year, over the past year, the QQQQ, the, the NASDAQ is outperforming Facebook over the year. But year to date, um, it's they're equal. Over the past six months, they're equal. After the Over the past one month, uh, the NASDAQ is up over uh, Facebook, quite notably. Over the past five days, uh, it's... The, the NASDAQ is outperforming Facebook by four point less than 5%. So I'd, I'd just like to throw something out there yeah. about the younger community, right? Um, younger community might not be on Facebook, but they are buying Oculuses and regularly engaging in the VR Great point. aspect of, of Facebook. So I, I don't think that Facebook has a concern about capturing the younger generation maybe on their Facebook platform, but not when it comes to the, the other platforms. I mean, yeah, they, they have they have a plan going forward to with Oculus, that's for sure. Yeah, and but, if they win if they win the gamble on Metaverse, they will be like crazy good. Correct. And and Instagram, I think that was a huge you know, the fact that they were allowed to acquire a lot of companies and Instagram was probably one of their best acquisitions in my opinion. You know, that that positioned them with the younger folks and 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 everybody. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's the, Absolutely that's the star. I think we don't install Instagram. I'll be died by now. What was that, Cheryl? I say, if it's not for Instagram, they're probably dead by now. No, <laughs> what about WhatsApp? Yeah, yeah WhatsApp was. Cheryl, if it wasn't for Instagram, they would probably own Snapchat. Reach. No, but, but what about uh, WhatsApp? Everyone in the world is on WhatsApp. Yes. You know, you don't, you don't realize how much stuff they own. Well, by the way, don't forget, WhatsApp and and Instagram, which they both own, are about they historically those are not high monetization apps. Those are high engagement apps. Same with Facebook, the blue app, as Michelle calls it, as Facebookers call it internally. Those apps are about to become e-commerce apps. Instagram is now adding shopper cards. So is WhatsApp. So is Blue and Facebook. And allowing influencers to make money off of uh, yeah, off exactly. shopping. Yeah, so exactly. And WhatsApp has know, a whole business corner as well. Don't forget that. Why do you think they're changing their name? Well, here's one. Just to quantify that for people who aren't familiar, this has been going on in Asia for a couple of years now. They call it social commerce, where the social media apps became e-commerce apps to compete with, you know, the the Amazons of Asia, which is Alibaba, and they're winning. And here's to give you an idea, they just had a big sale about three days ago, which is called Singles Day in China. There's an influencer in China who was selling makeup, only makeup, for one day. It's called Singles Day in China. This is less than a week ago. He sold Two billion dollars in twenty-four hours. One influencer out of millions on that app. And now Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp are all about to do exactly that. They're gonna become social commerce. They're gonna allow the influencers to sell products directly in the apps. 
So the revenue and monetization of these apps is about to go boom. Holy shit. Bam. Boom. Up to the sky, up to the moon. So Tyler, don't do not worry about Facebook and their stock price. Their revenues are going to go up 10x in the next three years. Tyler, and I was reading an article based on this same exact thing that we talked about that you brought up here a couple of days ago on the um, the lipstick. What was he called? The lipstick, the lipstick king. The lipstick king. That's right. And then in the article, they're actually talking about him and one other influencer together. They brought in three billion dollars in that twenty-four hours, and that even for for them, it was just you know something incredible because his usual um, viewership, I guess, or you know people that were um, on with him, I think was about twenty million, and it went from twenty million to two hundred and fifty million while he was just selling these makeup pieces. I mean, it was just incredible. Three billion between two people. I mean, I take a look at what Cacao and Naver does. It's like from online retail to ride hailing to fintech, they do it all. And it's a duality there. This is the model that Facebook is going to mirror, I assume. And I agree with you. They're not going to go down. They'll actually scale up quite considerably in the future. Yeah. So um, as, as much, yeah, I, it's just the interesting thing that's happening today is this full court pre coordinated press attack against their main economic competitor, which is Facebook. And that in itself is quite interesting. I'm not aware. There has been the Panama Papers where all the journalists got together and, you know, pushed they it They also off. got together on the Pentagon Papers. I mean, yep. when, there's, when there's a lot of papers like this, you know, the huge amount of documents, they, they typically get together because they know that there's a Pulitzer coming somewhere. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. And these are the kinds of stories they all have to do. And if they all collaborate, they all share the prize. Yeah. So, yeah. And there, you're, there's something about that. Anyway. So, whoa. What is there any other headlines that isn't this? Honestly, out of the we normally read about 15 and 12 of them are internal documents show, internal documents show, internal documents show. Here's one that's not. It's Microsoft says that the Russian-backed hacker group called Nobelium, responsible for the massive solar winds attack. For, and just for those who don't know, that was truly horrific, where uh, the Russians were able to get very deep into the political system of the U.S. through email servers and whatnot. Uh, all the top agencies, a lot of the top politicians. It was uh, quite quite sobering. So anyways, that's the group who did that is called Nobelium. And now Microsoft says the Russian-backed Nobelium group responsible for the SolarWinds hack is still targeting global IT supply chain with 14 breaches since May. Now, that's very important. Pay attention. Wake up. No, hello, you, the slow kids in the back. Yes, I'm talking to you, Sally, Joey, wake up. This is important. You're going to want to hear this one. So Microsoft uh, saying that this very notable Russian hacking group, Nobelium, which did solar winds, these are not amateurs. And they are, as the, as the article says, says Russian backed. What they mean is, Kremlin-backed, state-backed. This is essentially an arm of the Russian government, the hackers. 
And notice what the article says in the headline. Uh, they've hacked at least 14 supply chain firms since May. I've been warning you, have I not, that this was coming? Have I not essentially predicted and warned to wake up and make note that you need to take care of your own water and energy and food. I did. I've going back what four or five months. Yes, Anthony. And yep. I've made it more clear in recent days that the hackers are hacking uh, critical infrastructure links in the supply chain, and they're targeting energy and food. And we revealed recently water. So. You'll notice the big hack was the Colonial Pipeline. That's energy. And when that got hacked, a whole lot of people did not have gasoline. All the gas stations on the East Coast had no gas for a bit. And then they attacked the meat packing company, JT. Tried to shut that down, and they were successful for a bit. And then in recent days, it's been revealed they're attacking two Midwestern companies in the U.S., uh, one of the big corn suppliers. And it was revealed last week that the FBI came clean to say, hey, you know what? We're just letting you know. They've been attacking our water infrastructure and they're trying to do terrorism on our water infrastructure. And we didn't alert people because we don't want people to panic. This is your reminder that I don't drink water anymore. They are, <laughs> they are attacking our energy, water, and food. And that's why I've been telling you now that everything has become digitized. Your water and energy, so food that you're dependent on as a little kitty and your parents bring you kibble and put it in your bowl every day, that kibble is dependent on the Russian hackers not hacking. Right? And now here's Microsoft saying that the Russian state-backed hackers have done at least 14 supply chain hacks since May. Microsoft says a Nobelium threat group behind last year's solar winds hack is still targeting the global supply chain with 140 managed service providers and cloud service providers attacked and at least 14 breached since May. This campaign shares all the signs of Nobelium's approach to compromising significant list of targets by breaching their service provider. Just as in previous attacks, the Russian state hackers used a diverse and ever-changing toolkit, including a long list of tools and tactics ranging from malware, password sprays, and token theft to API abuse and spear phishing. The main targets of these new attacks are resellers, and technology service providers that deploy and manage cloud services and similar tech for their customers. Microsoft notified impacted targets of the attacks after spotting them and also added detections to their threat protection products, enabling those targeted to into the future to spot intrusion attempts. We, yep, okay. So now that every company has all their data in the cloud and all that that cloud and that data can get locked up so that they can't operate the food companies energy companies it's all been digitized it's all up in the cloud and those clouds can be hacked and shut down oh and by the way there was a big uh tesco is being reported today the uk's biggest uh supermarket system one of the biggest in the world, in fact, Tesco, was hacked and compromised. And they're struggling with that today. So, make note, that's one link in the chain. There's, a, there's multiple links in the chain that go from the farm to your table. The supermarket's the last link in the chain, right? And then you have the wholesalers and retailers. and far, There's several links in those chains. Those are all hackable now. 
And I have reason to believe that the state hackers are penetrating and cataloging the vulnerabilities of all of these supply chains in preparation for an inevitable cyber a cyber war of sorts where the way that they're going to inflict damage will be through attacking critical infrastructure like water, energy, and food. And that's why I'm telling people, hey, IKEA has solar panel systems, a complete one-stop purchase. It's $4,000-ish, depending on your your country and your exchange rate. For about 4000 bucks, you can go to IKEA with one swift purchase and get solar power. You can buy atomic uh, atmospheric air generators that make water out of the air. As long as you have more than 15% humidity wherever you happen to live. You can use your solar power to run your air generator. You don't need a deep well. You don't need a river. You can get water out of the goddamn sky with a machine called an atmospheric air generator. Again, that costs less than a thousand bucks. So for a grand total of $5,000, you can have energy and water. And if you have energy and water, you can grow food. It grows in the goddamn ground. This is a hot new technology. It's called fruits and vegetables. It's amazing. And you're going to want to take that shit quite seriously if we're going to have cyber attacks on our key infrastructures of energy, oil, and food. Because the if they attack energy, energy disables the other links in the chain that bring the food to the supermarket. And for you to get energy to drive your car to the supermarket. So if the energy is attacked, again, the other supply chains are shortage. You have mass. We already have shortages. We already have supply chain issues. So uh, be be mindful. Come up with contingency plans is the point there. And you read the headline today that Microsoft's warning that the Russians are hacking key supply chain firms. Okay. Tyler, can yes. I ask you a question? Tyler. Sure. They actually How, have been yeah, for a while. If I, if I could ask the question, when do you predict that given our ineffective defense against these attacks, our response will become kinetic? Good question. One of the things here is... Yeah, let, let, uh, Johan is a cybersecurity dude, so let's hear what Johan's got to say. Uh, since many of these platforms we have been seen attacked over the late, latest uh, we can actually use the, the 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 life of tech news around the world during the period that tech news around the world have existed and been operating we have seen an escalated amount of attacks uh, that were never seen before i would say that we, we have seen it grow exponentially over the period that tech news has existed even and the thing is here, there's a couple of things that are common here. One of the most common thing is that all the ones that have been owned, to use a, a hacker term, is Windows uh, only application platforms. We have yet to see one of the ones that have chosen to go for Solaris or Linux or, or one of the other ones systems from IBM, etc. get so totally owned that these Microsoft platform owned enterprises has been. What Tyler doesn't know is that we had Coop killed uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that was uh, was one thing. That was but Sweden's big supermarket chain, yes. 
Yeah, this weekend, the second largest Hemship, as well as Willys, were killed as well. In oh, shit, Island. I didn't know that. No, I, I knew. <laughs> I know you didn't, because it never hit the international press this time, because it happened again. So, yeah, so we've had the, the biggest chain uh, nuked for, for a whole week. I think they were totally down for three days. And after five days, they had limited operation. After, after a week, they were back, more or less. Uh, these guys um, uh, actually have learned some lessons learned. So now when Hemship and Willis were hit, uh, they actually uh, had the possibility to come back in a quick way. I, I guess that the, 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 the shot in the, in the rink uh, where, where they ha- had a hockey puck missing their head uh, when, when Coop was hit, might have given some leverage for the security guys to actually get the investment for backup systems and procedures and things might have happened. I have no idea if that actually happened. But the thing is that, as you say, this with the internet warfare, especially against the most common platform, the most common platform. And as Tyler, less than three minutes ago, said that Microsoft is now putting in defenses and detections into the platform. For fuck's sake, sorry for the bad wording, get your platform in order. These have been zero days that they are using now that have been known for sometimes up to 10 years without they have done anything against them. So, sorry, Microsoft, you're not the good guy. You're a part of the problem. Sorry, you undone. Yeah, and thank you for the update that uh, the number two and number three supermarkets in uh well i guess ika is in the top four as well uh but for for hem shop and willies to get hacked as well kind of furthers the point that they're targeting food infrastructure and by the way johan uh someone in stockholm named niels kneeberry uh just introduced me to via email I'm looking at the email here five days ago to Amer Mohammed, who in this email thread we've been chatting for the past five days, he's the chief digital officer at Coop. So I'm inviting him to come tell the story of what really happened behind the scenes at Coop, because being the chief digital officer, he likely knows, and he hopefully he can bring um, the 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 chief uh, security officer. We could have an interesting. That would be interesting, really. I, I, I have him on second-degree connection on LinkedIn as well. And we have quite a few common points. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, thank you for the additional context. The Hey, Tyler. Yes. Hey, this is John. Can I ask Johan a quick question? Yeah. Johan, uh, before I retired from IBM, I had some conversations with folks in our cybersecurity group. And they had claimed that the U.S. has capabilities from a cyber perspective, if if to 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 really attack any any state government and really decimate them, but we have not. We've always resisted using them because we don't. We once we do that, then they know what we've done and they're able to counter it. Have you ever heard of of such things in your you know in your uh, line of work? Yeah, the thing is here, you should be aware that uh, all the all, almost all of the domains, .com, uh, but even the other ones are under control by the American government. So if they want to un, uh, actually erase Russia from the internet, 
they actually have the possibility to go into the root service, the root name service, and say there is no such domain like Russia. And then Russia will be very, very hard to get by the internet. Similar to what happened to Facebook. More or less, yeah, but that was a, that was a self-inflicted gunshot to the foot. Here, gun, neat foot, bam. Mm -hmm. That was actually themselves blowing themselves out of the water. But yes, since the majority of the root service is under U.S. governmental control, and this is something that, that the, the entity that actually operate and holds these root servers have have brought up several times, but not been able to do anything about. Uh, but so yeah, they could actually knock. They they could actually wipe UK from the map with, with one single configuration in the same wow. way that Facebook disappeared. And the thing is that nothing would work within that country. Nothing. You can't reach your bank. You can't go to. You can't reach your shops. Cause no server. No, all servers will be still in operation but there is no phone book to find them. So, yeah, and the thing is here, with hitting infrastructure, if we, we talk about other things, yeah, I, I think that all countries that have some kind of intelligence agencies, they have tools to actually inflict harm on other ones. But again, let's hope we're not going for the, the internet warfare, because this will be very, very dirty, and it will go very, very quickly. In, in the spy versus spy uh, context, how confident are we that the domain name services have not themselves been hacked and that there's a counter initiative um, for what you described? The thing is here that uh, uh, this is a deep dive uh, and it would take quite a long time. This would signing the master keys for, for these domains, that actually takes in, takes place one time every second year. Yeah, that's a funny meeting. The, the rituals around that meeting are hilarious, yeah. Yeah, they actually meet every second year on some location in the U.S. It's very, very secretly around it. And they all have, each one has a key where they open and revalidate the domain name master key. But this key or this uh, token, or, or uh, this is something that really we, we should set our, our, uh, our, our blockchain friends to actually change uh, the, this method they're doing it. They actually need to pull out this old device and sign it. And they all nine of them, because there's an odd number, they need to sign it to validate the key. But the thing is here, if somebody would get hold of that one, they don't need these nine people. They, they can, can change it and wipe uh, any country from the, the internet map in one keystroke. You are done. Tyler, yeah, I have a question for, yes. for you guys and Go also ahead. for Johan. And I actually have two questions here. One of them is, for you guys who have been very strong and obviously updated and everything that's going on in the world of technology, is this what's happening now? Uh, I'm sure it's a question a lot of people may have right now with, in this room. Is this the worst you've seen it? Is this the biggest warning sign that you have seen since you, know, since you guys can remember? Is this the biggest warning sign that you can see? Or is this something that comes up, you know, it spikes up, we have issues you know, between countries and corporations, and then it comes back down? 
That's one question. And the other question is for the average person that can't maybe get these, I call it the few problems you call it, you know, the few being food, energy, and water. So for the average person that's living in big cities with apartment buildings, and maybe they don't have the access to have control of that for themselves as a family or a single unit, what do you suggest for that? Mm. Buy an island in yeah, No, no I, 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 the question deserves a legitimate answer. Um, people who are, and because I still work in Stockholm. In fact, I'm going back there in two weeks to do my monthly again, event again, finally, for the first time. I need to put the link in my bio. Um, it's on my Twitter account. If you go to my personal Twitter account, you'll see it. Anyway, um, when I'm deep in this, and I live out, as Lakeisha knows, who's come and visited me, and um, I'm in the middle of a farm, basically. I mean, there's just shit growing all around me. I mean, for for, for kilometers. And um, people who live deep in the city, they get into the mindset of, I, I live in the city. It's not easy to s sustain yourself in the city system. You're, you're, you don't really, it's not easy to have an option in a big apartment building to be off the grid. Like, you can't even have your own diesel generator to keep your lights on because if you ran your generator, your neighbors would call the police that you're running this smelly diesel generator on your balcony or whatever. And you can't even connect it to your power system. So like, what are you to do? It's a, it's a real perplexing thing. I would recommend because I think this is going to start to be, it's a great question. I think about this a lot. Um, start exploring in whatever city you do happen to live in on the outside of the hard concrete jungle where you get back into nature as a reasonable distance that's uh, reasonable to get to where there, and ideally where there is natural water, ideally, although that's, that would be a really nice benefit, but not, not a complete necessity, although that would be great. That would, trust me, that would be great because um, a lot of people are not in places where you can safely drink the public uh, municipal water that you're dependent on water being trucked in in little plastic bottles. And if that stops, Oh boy, are you screwed if your water is not really drinkable. And there's a lot of places where it's not really that drinkable. Uh, and in those cases, Oh boy, do you need to really be very careful about these supply chain issues? That the, would include me right here in Turkey right now. I'm looking at the water right this very minute at the Bosphorus sea. And yet we need to, you know, I order the water bottles for the last few years I've been here. Yeah. So I would try to go find, just as on your weekend, a to-do, high on your to-do list on your weekend activities is go explore beyond the concrete and pavement into, you know, outside the city centers to where there's nature, ideally sources of water, and Talk to people who live there and find out if there's a little, uh, you know, house that you can, things can get very, very cheap out there and very, very cheap. And you can set up a little weekend garden project and a little water project and a little solar project there. And by the way, credit to Swedes, almost most Swedish families have that and they've had that for generations. And so if shit really goes down crazy in the cities, the Swedes have their out-of-town houses to go to. And the, the Scandinavia has this. It's kind of a traditional thing. But that uh, is not so normal in, in kind of the U.S. 
Um, although it should be. Um, it's a real uh, Massachusetts and Boston in the heart of the city. Any um, plot of land or acre that hasn't been used, you can sequester it by asking the state for permission. And they've we've been converting them to gardens. And the only thing we haven't been able to solve is the water issue. But yes, any plot of land that has been vacant for a while, you can ask the state for permission and change it into a garden, usually manned by the community. How large of, an, uh, of a plot, um, Sharon? Um, we've got some really good sized plots. I'd say um, probably enough to, to house two homes on the plots. Wow. wow. Yeah, and these are in very tight communities. They've just been abandoned, forsaken for some time. Rather than just leave them vacant, we've been turning them into gardens. Maybe, maybe a first step would be try and go out on the weekends to farms on the outside of town places that have grow are growing food and maybe have some sheep and goats and you know dairy cows and whatnot and just you know some of them have a bed and breakfast that you can sleep in or they've got a little restaurant or a little cafe and just sit down and talk with those folks and explore that that territory i would be a nice first step and then you know work to learn as much as possible and you you know you might even find yourself becoming quick friends with those folks because uh, they have a lot to teach a lot of the people. And by the way, if you start talking about what we're talking about, they're going to shake their heads and be like, yep, you all are going to be real screwed when shit hits the fan. They know it. That's partly why they're out there. So feel free to engage with them on that topic. They would be happy to, you know, and they have the skills that you're going to wish you knew when shit hits the fan. And they know they have those skills. And another part of infrastructure, in addition to food and water and power, is security. And that, when you think about the consequences, security becomes paramount. So it's just not just uh, it's you'll you'll enjoy the whole process if you go through that. Anyway, um, what, about, what about the part one of the question as far yeah. as the severity of this? Um, it's what what the issue is is it's not uh, binary. It's it's a uh, escalating chart, as Johan said, we're noticing an increasing um, rate and velocity and intensity. And there are very, very, very few countermeasures that actually, if if you would have segmented the infrastructure and segmented uh, the things in a, in an orderly way from the beginning, they will be easier to put up more, let's call it firewalls in between them. But for now, we had one American support company that did get hit by a solar wind alike attack. And they actually killed the primary food chain in Sweden. Who would know that? Uh, that you, you trash a system or a company in the US which gives you access to actually stop the food deliverance and the, the supermarkets in Sweden, a tiny little country in the north. Yeah. But they still did get to extort them for a lot of money. And these are the things that we, we, we don't have any defense for these. And the thing is that uh, to, to be actually protected from these ones right now will be very, very hard. Uh, so, 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 yeah, we, we are in a, in a dire situation. Uh, we, we are actually living by that they don't attack us right now because we are defenseless. We are ligging, we are laying belly up, just waiting for the bite. 
Yeah, and I think the issue with America is we're, we're extremely reactionary. We've had some small infrastructure hacks. We've never responded to it. It's this year we're actually throwing money into cybersecurity on the DOD level. And what we're noticing, there are companies who are saying, listen, we've done some reworking of the hacks. We can help. But as soon as they begin to respond, what, what they're also seeing is that Russia's quick to respond to that that countermeasure, and it's becoming a, a, a situation that we cannot control or get ahead of. So I agree with Johan, where this is be, it's scaling up fast, and we're well behind the curve on responding. Okay, so the the MacBook Pro, uh, the fourteen inch and sixteen inch with the brand new processor called the M1 Pro and M1 Max. Um, those were launched on the 18th, so a week ago, essentially. And we, it was on Tuesday, and we watched that live event here in Tech News Around the World where they showed the new processors, the new MacBook, and, you know, all the new bells and whistles. And now that it's been a week later, a, some reviewers now have had a chance to play with those new devices, and we're now today seeing the very first hands-on reviews, like this one from The Verge, which says that the MacBook Pro with the M1 Pro uh, giving the people what they want. New chips, familiar ports, and actual volume buttons. I might be in love, according to Neely Patel. And Neely is the senior editor, uh, the big cheese, as it is over at uh, um, The Verge. Craig, we were just talking about cybersecurity. Did you have any thoughts about uh, the seriousness of the escalating hacks or any, that's, any such thing? Uh, I just got through dropping off two kids, so okay. my, my brain is a little scrambled. Okay, no doubt we'll circle back to it. So, Neely, uh review of the new MacBook Pro says it's easy to be excited about the new MacBook Pros. It feels like Apple finally listened to everybody and put back the parts of the beloved 2015 MacBook Pro while pushing the display and performance to new heights. I know a lot of people who ordered one sight unseen. The pent-up demand for the great for a great Pro Mac laptop has been growing since Apple released the MacBook Air and 13-inch MacBook Pro with the M1 chips last year. We've had three of these new MacBook Pros for less than a week. We're doing some quick impressions now, but we're taking our time with the full review since there's a lot to discuss and a lot of questions about performance and battery life to answer. And what does he say? Design-wise, they're, they're a slight new direction for Apple laptops. The concepts are all familiar, but the execution is a little more squared off, a little thicker, a little more aggressive. They share an overall sensibility with the 2015 MacBook Pro with a hint of the titanium PowerBook G4 from 2001. And in a welcome move, Apple has added some of the ports back. And the other major design change is a personal victory. Apple finally got rid of the touch bar. And we're going to spend a lot of time testing. This is a really bad review, Neely. Inside the, oh, he talks about the notch. Inside the notch, there's a new 1080p camera that takes advantage of Apple's image processing. It's noticeably clearer and crisper than the miserable quality of previous Apple webcams, but it's still a laptop webcam. It's not even close to an iPhone front cam, for example. And it's the deal killer for me right there. I decided not to buy it because they kept front-facing camera. 
But the main thing we want, by the way, there's an app you can buy that sounded like Evan. And Evan, there's an app you can buy called Camo, C-A-M-O, which will allow you to plug your iPhone into your laptop and use your phone as your webcam. And it, and even the the better camera on the outside of your phone, which is the, what do we call that? I guess, but I'm also often, you know, multitasking with my phone on a, uh-huh. you know. Using it on a call. I don't uh-huh. know what the issue is. Why can't they put a damn good camera in, in the device? It's, it seems silly. Yeah. So anyway, that's a rather unimpressive review from The Verge. Other headlines coming in, some fundraising announcements like this one. Tier, who's one of the mobility scooter companies in Europe, based out of Berlin, just raised $200 million. And a startup called Billy, uh, which is a buy now, pay later for not for customers, not for consumers, but for B two B transactions, raises a hundred million at a six hundred forty million valuation. That's also, I believe, based out of Berlin. That one, um, and then PayPal has come out to say that they're not pursuing acquiring Pinterest, and that was a headline that everyone was reporting at the end of last week that PayPal was looking to buy Pinterest. In response to market rumors regarding a potential acquisition of Pinterest by PayPal, PayPal stated that it is not purchasing, pursuing an acquisition of Pinterest at this time. And so Pinterest shares have dropped 10% because <laughs> Pinterest shares went up 10% on that, on that fake news at the end of last week. And so now that PayPal's come out with the correction, uh, the market has to correct it accordingly. And then we get into the tweets as we do. And this is why we go. Sorry, Tyler. Yes. 45 billion was not true. Say again. Uh, PayPal uh, wanted to offer 45 billion to Pinterest to acquire it. It wasn't true. It was a false news? Right. Okay. So, what is the actual number? Or are they actually wanting to buy Pinterest? They said they're not buying Pinterest. Okay. Thank you. So the next one is the tweets that we patiently have been waiting for, where everyone on stage and in the audience finds all the really interesting headlines, like this one that Anthony shared from Bloomberg, that Hertz rental car is ordering 100,000 Teslas, which is sending Tesla shares up today. Hertz Global Holdings which is barely four months out of bankruptcy, placed an order for 100,000 Teslas in the first step of an ambitious plan to electrify its fleet. And CSQ sends in this one from Yahoo News. AI raises up or rises up the ranks of the military. The Defense Department plans to spend nearly a billion dollars on AI-related technologies. It also aims to increase the number of AI-related projects to more than 600, up from 50% from current efforts. Now, here's the problem. You're going to have the AI teams at, that do this stuff with the Department of Defense. By the way, the Department of Defense pays very handsomely. You could, you could say they overpay. Right. So if you are an AI startup, boy, that's some sweet, sweet, juicy money. Right. You just became wildly profitable very quickly. 
That's the best customer you could ever hope to have. Now, big tech, mainly Google, Amazon, what have you, Microsoft, would also love to have the Department of Defense as their customer. And so, too, would Google and Amazon and Microsoft's shareholders. Would love, 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 sweet, sweet, juicy, sweet Jesus, please, 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 uh, get me some of that DOD money, the Department of Defense. Because the Department of Defense bought a whole bunch of HoloLenses from Microsoft, $20 billion worth. And you're thinking, awesome, fantastic. You're a Microsoft shareholder, you're a Microsoft executive, what have you. Not so fast, because you now have team members inside Microsoft saying, I don't like that. I don't want you using AI for the Department of Defense, and I'm an employee. And so you have employees at Amazon, at everywhere, Apple, on and on and on, saying, we don't like this, and we're going to have a protest at lunch. And then you get the tech journalists covering the tech protests of these you know, employees who feel that this company doesn't share their values. So I just tweeted that one out to the Tech News Twitter account. Faraz found this one from Bloomberg. That China uh, COVID outbreak widens. China warned that new infections will increase in coming days after the latest outbreak, which is fueled by the Delta variant, expanded to 11 provinces. And this is, that might not sound like an interesting headline. Oh, but it is. Oh, boy, is it. Here's why. Because they have the Olympics coming in February, the 2022 Winter Games. And if they're not able to control COVID, that could be a problem for the Olympic Games. And they can't allow that to happen, to that to be a problem for the Olympic Games. Tokyo went through this already. We, went, we were here in this room every day while Tokyo was going through it. Tokyo was on the ropes. Shit was getting rather tense. But Tyler, more important is, will they shut down the ports again and make the supply chain issue worse? Right. That's another huge consequence of it. Exactly They've right. They've already begun to shut their borders down. They've already begun that. Shutting, shutting the factories, shutting the ports. That's what they did last time that got us into this in the first place. Right. Which leads to another article that says China's shutdown will potentially collapse America's economy. What's the source of that one? Let me look for it. Okay. Well, there was one that we read when we were here eight hours ago that said um, China's economic balancing act that itself is going through now with the big uh, real estate bubble that they're popping uh, with Evergrande and the spillover effects of that could cause the whole world to go down with it. That was the one we read from Financial Times or Politico. Business Insider. Business Insider was the one. Thank you. Oh, yep. That's the one. Business Insider. Yeah. And it shows Uncle G carrying, trying to walk on a tightrope over a, a pool of flames. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I think that this is maybe the most interesting story right now. It is. That is a huge story. But, I mean, that, this is uh, speaks again to get your own water, energy, and food. <laughs> <laughs> because shit's about to get real, and it's not due to you doing anything wrong or 
your local city council doing anything wrong or even your state necessarily doing anything wrong. This is huge systemic issues that are out beyond your control that you have no control of. And these powers that are bringing this cat food to your little cat bowl um, can be disrupted rather quickly. And the problem is when that disruption happens, when the food supply, water supply, energy supply becomes intermittent and unsustainable, even momentarily, people go into panic mode and hoard mode instantly. And you can't there you there you have a window of a few hours to act. So you can't the, the only logical preparation is to take action preemptively and before those things happen as much as you as much as that might be an inconvenience. But if China's economy goes where some experts are now saying it's going. Goldman Sachs last week Thursday says, "Oh, you think the the three hundred billion that Evergrande uh, bubble, uh, that whole debt uh, that they're not going to be able to repay back? You think that's a problem? Wait until you find out about the all of the municipal uh, debt that all of the regional municipalities in China have been drumming up, which is to the tune of." Uh, Chris might recall the number. Jesus, what was it? It was some eight tri- eight trillion. Yes, twenty four times bigger than Evergrande. Twenty four times bigger, and Evergrande by itself is causing systemic shakes. Well, but I somebody must have bailed out Evergrande because I read over the weekend that they've begun um, <clears throat> they've begun working on ten of their biggest projects again. So somebody made it possible for them to avert all the bankruptcy and and land on their feet. We'll find out. Time will tell. So this article from Bloomberg says U.S. hospitals use falls to July levels. Oh, this is about Beijing plans to quarantine athletes competing at the 22 Winter Olympics for 21 days if they haven't been vaccinated, according to internal guidelines released Monday. China is is basically locked down. They're still not letting people in because of COVID, because of Delta. Now, let, let me just explain something here. As somebody who lives in Asia, who just went through Delta, and many of you went through it with me, as I was telling Lakeisha and I were explaining on a daily basis, uh, yeah, this Delta thing is a very serious problem. I told you it's gonna. We're having it here now. You're gonna get it in a couple months from now in the U.S. and it's gonna kick your ass. It's gonna be a really strong third wave. Get ready. 100%. Which is exactly what happened. Everyone here who joins us every day remembers this very clearly. Now, we in Thailand, the reason it kicked our ass is because we were using China's Sinovac vaccine. And that proved to be fucking pointless for Delta. And it destroyed us here in Thailand. Really, really got really bad here. Because that vaccine is garbage when it comes to Delta. Now, guess who else uses the Sinovac vaccine? And guess who else just got Delta? China. So, China doesn't want the world to know that it's going through a massive Delta surge. But something tells me they might be. 
because their vaccine is useless against the Delta variant, and the Delta variant's a rather stingy bitch. So, oh, no, they're, they're, they're blaming it on the insurgence of Asians coming across the border and Muslims coming across the border, but that's not the case. It is ingrown. So, I, I mean, that's why I said it's going to be amazing to see what China does, because uh, somebody who was in Thailand that was using COVID, Chinese vaccines that were proven to be ineffective against stopping Delta at all. Oh, boy. I'm guessing well, they don't. They don't import Western vaccines, right? I mean, that's not kosher. That would be political suicide for them. That's so. Uh, that's why I said this is going to be really, really. But it's. I know they're not open. The borders aren't open. The rest of the world's opening. Thailand opens officially November first. Forty-six countries were just approved to come to Thailand with no quarantine whatsoever. Didn't China take a big stake in the Canadian mRNA vaccine company? Yes, it did. Great, great memory, John. The China. Oh, that's John. That's John. John just got the MVP for today. So China had its own vaccine, Sinopharm and Sinovac. And if those were so good, why did they just try to buy a Canadian mRNA vaccine company? Well, common sense would tell you. They know their vaccines aren't really good against Delta. They need mRNA vaccines, but they can't bring we themselves. Can't, they can't bring themselves to, to. Right. What yeah. my point is, they we, we, politically bring themselves to ask for help from Taiwan or who, Japan, America, Canada. They they can't ask the rest of the countries like Thailand has had to do. Thailand has uh, had to get on its knees and ask very politely. To the rest of the world, hey y'all, can we get a? Can anyone got an extra vaccine laying around you could throw our way? That'd be really appreciated. And kudos to the rest of the planet for throwing out, you know, some vaccines. And there was a whole bunch of countries, perhaps the U.S. most notably, who sent a whole bunch of vaccines to Thailand. And now we have been vaccinated, and now things are looking really starting to be fine again here. So I say that because China can't do that. So what are you going to do? Your vaccines don't work. You can't bring yourselves to ask for the vaccines that do work. So they tried to buy an mRNA company from Canada. Seems might seems to be their only option. Did they get approved? I, I hope so. I hope they get it because, they, you know, we need them to recover as well. Well, especially so that it doesn't mutate Jesus. Yeah, it's like, a, you know, a quarter of the world's population. Anyway, they tried to hack us. Remember the they tried to hack Pfizer and all the all the big pharma in the U.S. throughout 2020, trying to get get what was being developed here, and that didn't work. But like Tyler said, politically, there's no way they can purchase our vaccines and and use them. So it's going the inter, the Olympics is going to be very very interesting. And which by the by the way, the Olympics I, I didn't know this till I read an article yesterday, but they that's completely shut shut out. So that's going to be just like. Just like virtual the last Olympics, where, right? Yeah, it's virtual, and, and the only it's going they're going to be all the athletes and, and folks there will be in a bubble. Okay, so the next one is from Sharon, who found this one that um, they say it's a scoop. <laughs> Facebook executive Nick Clegg warns staffers on Saturday. Um, that sources sources 
told Axios that some news outlets have gotten the leaked documents from members of Congress or committee staff, which has helped publications avoid potentially... Yeah. And Facebook is telling... Facebook executives warn Facebook team members to for that there's more bad headlines ahead. So they warned them over the weekend because they knew that all of these were coming on Monday. Today's Monday. It's now mo- Monday morning in America. Everyone's waking up. All the headlines are. Every publication you can think of is saying that Facebook's, uh, the whole building's on fire. The ship is sinking. It's doomsday. It's the apocalypse. The Facebook apocalypse is upon us, is what the entire American media is trying to, the narrative they're framing today. And so Nick Clegg, who's kind of the boss when it comes to all things about communications at Facebook, warned the entire company on Saturday, uh, you're going to have a whole bunch of bad headlines on Monday, a whole bunch of misinformation, whatnot. And actually, somebody had the the quote of it. It said, uh, Nick Clegg told staff to prepare for, quote unquote, more bad headlines in the coming days containing mischaracterizations of Facebook's research motives and priorities. Yep, he got that right. That's what happened. So the next one is... Uh, how Facebook neglected the rest of the world, fueling hate speech and violence in India from the Washington Post. And I really hope somebody is building a big database of all of these uh, Facebook. We may as well just compile them at this point. They're just so much. <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see if the, if the market uh, really reacts. Uh, you had another one here, Sharon, about medical device leader Medtronic joins race to bring AI to healthcare. Medtronic's the world's largest medical device company, is significantly increasing its investments into AI and other technologies. Yeah, welcome to the new age of uh, colonoscopy. <laughs> it can identify the tumor better than a doctor can, yeah. The Chetna shares this one from Forbes. Empathy is the most important leadership skill, according to research. Then Evan shares this one that a Melbourne anti-vaxxer is is selling a $1,500 fake arm. Oh, that's clever. That's one way to not get Brilliant. There it is. I just tweeted it. So you can... Yeah, what kind of nurse is going to sit there and inject into a rubber arm? It shows how far people are willing to go to not get the vaccine. Yeah. Uh, that could work. I think that could work. If you wear a long sleeve no. shirt and you, no, no. Nope. you have a little patch over the shoulder and you can just open the patch on your shoulder. You say, just slap it right in there, doc. If it's a rubber arm, they'll feel it when they palpitate for the vein. Okay, and then uh, Evan found a video from South Korea where the street lights on that light up, uh, and he was very impressed with <laughs> Korean crosswalks. Um, we, we don't care anything in the U.S. about pedestrians. That's what drives me crazy. Like most places you, you walk around the country, we don't even have sidewalks, much let alone like, you know, proper pedestrian crossings. 
Not in L.A., though. L.A. LA is very strict with crosswalks. Extremely strict. I mean, you can walk across a, a, a busy street, and as long as it's got a crosswalk, cars will lock them up and apologize for, for not stopping quick yeah. enough. Don't go to in Korea, everyone has their face down, like everyone. You, you, you get tired of saying, excuse me. So this is genius, actually. Yeah, and a note to my Californian friends who might be listening. If you grow up in California, you assume the, the pedestrian has the right of way. And the cars will come to a screeching halt on the freeway if you walk across the freeway. Uh, I can assure you that doesn't work in most of the rest of the world. Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't. Especially not in New York, New York where you'll City. get plowed through, right? <laughs> and if you walk through a crosswalk, you can be in the middle of a crosswalk in Thailand, and the car will hit you and laugh as it hits you. In China, I think that if you if there's the fine, there's a bigger fine if somebody's injured than if they're killed. So there was a whole thing <clears throat> last year about um, cameras catching people backing up over people that they've um, that they hit to make sure they it's die. Called a night. Yeah, it's like Shug Knight, exactly. <laughs> it's, called, but, it's called a Shug Knight. <laughs> but I mean, it was a legit thing. They were they had these images all over the place, but in L.A. What's really funny, uh, I mean, people don't care. Like, there's a whole, like, you know, subculture of, like, how people walk in the middle of the street and everybody, like, stops for them and everything. But you can always tell who's not from L.A. Because, I mean, they'll stare right at you and they're like, oh, yeah, come get me. Because they're just, they walk wherever. You can just walk wherever. But in L.A., yeah, they, I mean, they try to make sure you cross at crosswalks. But, I mean, it's, I don't know, knock on wood, right? I've never been actually caught for jaywalking. Um, but, uh but yeah, I didn't grow up here, so I kind of cross. I, I'm not going to walk like you know a mile to the next crosswalk. I'm just going to cross wherever the hell I need to. And you, I haven't been hit yet, so that's that's something, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Anyway, Kyla. Yes. Can you take the hand raised to the dungeons? Okay. There's Ken and Dr. Donish and BB. Okay. Hey Tyler, I got yes. a quick a quick update on the PayPal. Um, Do it. When you say it was fake news, I, there was an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal. I'll tweet it to you in a second. But they basically gave an update because they're the ones who reported and they didn't. They, they Neither PayPal nor Pinterest confirmed nor denied these discussions. But there were discussions and they backed off because the investor, it was not, um, it was not, what did this say here? It was not perceived, you know, as a, as a good target by the investing, their investors. So they. They did have, um, they did put an offer out for Pinterest. They just, it, so it wasn't fake news, but they just backed off of it and said, we're not going to go through. I guess their history when they acquire startups hasn't been great. You know, when they, when they've acquired, um, let's see, they said they acquired Honey Science Company a couple of years ago. And they also Venmo was the big one and they still are not profitable. And they acquired them back in 2013, PayPal did. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh, there's sure. there's Damalera and there's Maria and there's Jonathan. Okay, so next one up here is a tweet from Cheryl. She found this one from DW News out of Germany that people are eating roots and flowers. Hospitals have no medicine and children are dying of starvation as the world's worst hunger crisis in a decade devastates Ethiopia's war-scarred Tigray region. 
And Messi was with us earlier. Is she still with us? Messi? Uh, I am here. Can you give us an update on the Tigre or Tigre region? Tigre. Yeah, it is Tigray. Um, Tigray, thank you. Yeah, it is Tigray. Um, It is the fighting. It's still continuing between the rebel groups and and the government. And especially right now, they are doing offensive. And, um, well, nobody knows, right? Um, Yeah, no one has access. And Yeah, it seems they're reporting that basically they're starting to have serious famine issues there. Have you read about the Sudan coup that's happening right now? And no. The, the solution, yeah, look it up, like, like, I'll send it to you, but I'm sure you can just put Sudan coup and it's, like, I, been I reported for the past. Yeah, within the hours. Yeah. I the saw that, too. Yeah. That was this morning, yeah. Yeah, it's been all over the news. Okay, let's check it they're, out. They're telling citizens Guardian, to go, like, they're telling Reuters. people to go out in the street and fight the coup. With like yeah. whatever they have. Okay. It's yeah. crazy. I've got BBC tw- 22 minutes ago. Headline is Sudan coup military dissolves civilian government and arrests leaders. A coup is underway in Sudan where the military and this by for those who don't know, it's just north of Ethiopia, just south of Egypt. Um, and it, the Nile goes right through the middle of Sudan as well. Uh, a coup is underway in Sudan where the military has dissolved civilian rule and arrested political leaders and declared a state of emergency. The coup leader, which is the general, as it normally, that's how it usually goes down, by the way, <laughs> um, has blamed political infighting. Protesters have taken to the streets in the capital and other cities, and there are reports of gunfire. Military and civilian leaders have been at odds since Longtime ruler Omar al-Bashir was overthrown two years ago and a transitional government was set up. Army and paramilitary troops have been deployed across the capital. The main airport is closed. International flights are suspended. The internet is also down. BBC's Arabic... Arabic's Mohammed Osman is in the capital, says large numbers of protesters are demanding the return of civilian rule and that demonstrations have spread to a number of other locations, including other main cities. More protesters are expected to be drawn to the streets in coming hours after calls for action by political parties and professional unions are correspondents add. One demonstrator told AFP, we will not leave the streets until the civilian government is back and the transition is back. Uh, we are ready to give our lives for the democratic transition in Sudan, another protester said. Video footage from the capital on Monday showed large groups in the streets, including many women. Makeshift barricades and burning tires can be seen in the streets with plumes of black smoke rising in various parts of the city. There is a tension and also violence because... People tried to go to the army headquarters. They were met with gunshots. Uh, Prime Minister Abdallah Hamduk and his wife are among those reported to have been detained and put under house arrest along with members of the cabinet. They are part of a transitional government designed to steer Sudan towards democracy after the rule of former President Omar al-Bashir. A statement from the Information Ministry on Facebook said those arrested were being held in an unidentified location. 
Now, it's almost regrettable that Facebook was included in this article, but it, make note that the information ministry used Facebook as a way to communicate because, uh, not surprisingly, Facebook is probably the mean, main means of communication. And it's only uh, how many minutes or hours until we see a headline blaming Facebook for the troubles in Sudan leading to this coup. Our friends at Watergate Post perhaps can help with that. I have to imagine there's a journalist at somewhere at the Washington Post and New York Times trying to figure out how to blame Facebook for this enabling this military coup that they knew it was happening and they did nothing to stop it. Yeah, this was growing for a long time. Like, no, 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 no. Facebook enabled it. They even, they, they even, they even the, the, the information ministry even used Facebook to try and warn people. Yada, yada, yada. Both sides of the skirmish were using Facebook. Clearly, Facebook's uh, involved. Well, so I think, I think actually point. the ouster originally happened. The al-Bashir government fell in like 2019. So what they had was this um, sort of not really agreed to intermediary government. And the two sides are one is this very conservative Islamic group. And the other is this more technocratic um, a democratic group that wants not to have this, you know, the old, uh, very conservative Islamic order. So what they did is they they had this intermediary thing with this military leader um, running this uh, group, and then that was they they tried to overthrow it like a couple months ago, and it didn't work. And now they tried to so they they did it again this time. And the problem is um, the ele next elections are supposed to happen in like 2023. Yeah. And it's a, um, it, the, it's, a, it's a big problem because this is, again, this is a split that's happening all over, especially in these very traditional countries that have large populations that are not adherents. So when you have smaller countries that you have that are extremely wealthy and the wealth is relatively well spread and it's and the most of the country is the majority religion, which is, you know, like, you know, Saudi Arabia or, you know, other countries in the Middle East, it doesn't happen in this much uh, fracture. But in, in Africa, you have, again, administrative lines that are de determining countries, not not traditional established boundaries. And the biggest problem is that you have these groups that that did not function within the same uh, government structure before administrative lines were put down. So they're fundamentally opposed. They operate completely differently. And those divisions have just um, grown because now they're supposed to operate within this group. But with the advent of the internet, you now have the groups that were previously like the suppressed groups or the ones that were not as represented by the large um, uh, religious culture or the religious or large religious, you know, government. And sometimes they're two religious groups. They're just fighting. But um, the ones that are more, more um, uh, like not as religious, which is the younger groups that are not as religious and tend to be much more global in nature and internationally focused. And they want to move ahead with a broader, like they don't want, you know, the uh, mineral driven um, economies. They want a broader economy. They're all very supporting of like the new technologies coming in and offering more opportunity. 
but <clears throat> they're being stopped by this core of power. So here it's again, the technocratic group versus the, um, the Islamic group. And that's why they're saying, you know, you have to fight this coup because this is gonna go back towards this Islamic group and they don't want that. That's what, what my understanding of it as it stands. So check this out. I, uh, there was somebody trying to jump in. I got a really good yeah, article to share. Really, really I was just, I was just you know, also from say. a technological standpoint. Um, so Sudan, there, there is a huge diaspora of people who live outside of the country because unfortunately they've gone through cycles of, you know, instability over the past, you know, 20 years or so. And so I learned of this from a Sudanese American friend who's living in Madrid. And, and so when I think about the power of technology in coup, um, you know, in, in, in a, you know, when a country in, is in a state of, coup, of, of, turmoil, I guess I would say, um, you know, it helps the people inside. But but I think also there is a strong power base that resides from outside of the country. And, and so, you know, to your earlier point, I would hope that, you know, um, any journalist who would be looking for, you know, ways in which Facebook could have prevented or ways that Facebook may have incited um, um, people toward this conflict could also appreciate the importance of having a global vehicle like Facebook that allows the diaspora members of the diaspora to stay connected with what's happening inside of the country where they you know, where people still have you know close family members and, and close ties. Just one element to add into that is just um, the military usually tend to be strong. So there is always conflict between the, you know, the military establishment that usually wanted to have the power versus the civilians uh, who are actually, like everybody said, the population who tend to be tech savvy and stuff, um, they want non-military uh, kind of leadership. I think that was the biggest uh, fighting after al-Bashir was gone. So um, I think that's that's also the power struggle that seems to continue the military versus military leadership that the population wants. Okay. I also just wanted to add in also, Tyler, that you can imagine a lot of the other countries are watching, especially countries like Iran right now is watching what's going on because People are not forgetting the conversation that Wesley Clark had back about maybe 20 years ago about the seven countries that were, you know, on the list of, of taking down. And many people said that, you know, it was going to be Sudan and then go after the mothership being Iran. So a lot of people in this part of the world are definitely watching and seeing what's going on. Okay, so check this out. So Al Jazeera has done a kind of a catalog of how every major player is responding to this from the u.s to the african union to the united nations to the european union amnesty international germany france uk china arab league ioc norwegian refugee council have all made official comments about this coup and i'm going to read through them one of them all of them say the same thing they all say uh, we demand that the democratically elected officials be released and put back in power. All but one. Let's see if you can figure out which one is not saying that. World leaders and human rights groups have condemned the detention of 
high-ranking Sudanese officials in what appears to be a coup attempt as senior military official dissolved the government. The the country's information... Jeopardy music. Yeah. Earlier, thousands of people poured into the streets of the Sudanese capital after security forces arrested members of the country's cabinet, including prime minister and several pro-government party leaders. The internet has been turned off. Here are the reactions from around the world to Monday's events. United States. The United States Special Envoy for the Horn of Africa, Jeffrey Feltman, rejected the apparent military power grab as utterly unacceptable. Here's the quote. The U.S. is deeply alarmed at the reports of the military takeover of of the transitional government, he said, just days after he visited the Sudanese capital. This would contravene the constitutional declaration of the democratic aspirations of the Sudanese people and is utterly unacceptable. As we have said repeatedly, any changes to the transitional government by force puts at risk U.S. assistance. African Union. Sudan's political leaders should be released and human rights respected, the African Union Commission chair said in a statement. United Nations, UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez called for the immediate release of Sudan's Prime Minister and all other officials. I condemn the ongoing military coup in Sudan. Prime Minister and all other officials must be released immediately. European Union, EU Foreign Policy Chief Joseph Borrell condemned the the detention of Sudan's Prime Minister and other cabinet members. We call on security forces to immediately release those who have been unlawfully detained. Amnesty International, same. Germany, same. France, same. UK, same. China. Foreign Ministry spokesperson said China wants all parties to resolve their differences through dialogue. Slightly different approach here. We Maybe you should talk with the coup about why... They're unhappy. And, you know, let's, you, you guys just talk things out. Wait, China said we want you guys to resolve it through dialogue? Correct. Because that's yes. how they Adam. handled Hong Kong and all these other issues that they've had? <laughs> it's exactly well done. what we did. Yes, that's great. Did they say the same thing about Taiwan just yet, like last week? <laughs> I was literally going to say that. Okay. <laughs> take the words out my mouth. They want to have a great dialogue with Taiwan? Then he, guys that, yeah, that, that but then like he then told reporters that China would continue to closely follow the turbulence and take necessary measures to ensure the safety of Chinese institutions there. That's because China has such a vested interest now in in Africa. They're like they've just been encroaching for a long time. Well, it was I have I have a little news for you. Okay. China is, as many of you know super invested in Africa, as Alexander just pointed out, and as Messi can confirm, as any, as, as Mobana can confirm, as anyone in Africa will tell you, oh boy, is China heavily interested in Africa, and for uh, for many years now, like over a decade. And it's a lot of infrastructure and resource extraction and rare earth metal and all kinds of things, setting up their, you know, Huawei 5G antennas and on and on and on. And a considerable investments and enrichments and involvement. And uh, they, as you can understand, as a country who's wanting to, they, they like to have control of the leaders of a country. 
and this is not unique to China. Uh, uh, this is just how global politics works, is China would prefer a government they can control. For example, Myanmar, my neighbor, literally down the street from me, when we had a democratically elected government in Burma, Myanmar, up until a couple months ago. And that democratically elected government, well, uh, let's step one step before that. That democratically elected government was only there for a couple years. Very short-lived. Prior to them coming in, there was the military running the gov- the country. And when the military was running the country, China did deals to build hydroelectric dams that gave 9% of that energy from that dam to Myanmar, and the rest of the power, 91% of the power, would go to China. They built pipelines from the Indian Ocean right through the middle of Myanmar to China so they could use it as a major port to do their oil and natural gas to China. They built railways. And the locals didn't like these, that their land was being taken away, their water was being cut off from their major rivers, the Irrawaddy. The locals didn't like this, but the military government at the time was like, sure, of course, of course you can set up a a major port. Of course you can build pipelines and railways and hydroelectric dams. Of course you can. You just give us, you know, grease the wheel, give us that, that sweet, sweet tea money. Then that was with the military was in control and they were very controllable by China. And then you had this very meddlesome, democratically elected government come into play. And what do you know? The pipeline's getting shut down. The hydroelectric dam got shut down. All the Chinese infrastructure is getting shut down. And then what do you know? The military magically comes back into action and wipes out the democratically elected government. And the locals there, if you go into the Burmese rooms here in Clubhouse, they will tell you that that was China who pushed the the military to come back to protect their own infrastructure projects. So, who might stand to benefit by a new change of power or having influence in the power in Sudan? Who's making big economic moves in Africa? Who doesn't want a democratic system in in any, you know, nearly anywhere? This is China's playbook. I know that um, the Communist Party in Sudan is one of the biggest as well. Like, there is a big Communist Party in Sudan. But China, yeah. China benefits from a very small government, like a military government, that it can control yeah. with, a, with a little pocket money. And they don't like dem- they don't like democratically elected officials that are hard to uh, manipulate in the same way. Just just well, picture just picture Uncle Xi in a wife beater, and you know you'll you'll know what he's about. Well, and just to add context to the Myanmar example that you just gave, Tyler, um, the UN issued a report last week saying that Myanmar in the past six months has slipped into poverty not seen in 20 years. So so it's, it's about the power, it's about the resource extraction, but then the implications, um, you know, have a long tail and um, unfortunately they hit fast and they hit really hard. And, and so... Um, I mean, I, I may be stating the obvious, but I just wanted to underscore that there's so many different 
levels and layers to all of this that's happening, not only in Myanmar, but in Sudan and other places. But I mean, the reason that they don't want democratic governments is because they're expensive to deal with, right? Yeah. Democratic governments, first of all, do you have things like referendums, which are expensive, even if you're going to um, to get them, uh, get get something uh, done like what Uber did, right? It's millions and millions and millions for one particular thing. Then every time there's a change in, in um, elected official, you have to find someone else to pay for. And usually you have to get that person in a primary and move them up rather than try and get somebody who's established because they have their own sugar daddies. They don't need new money. So I think that, I mean, I don't think it's even something philosophical, like they're opposed to, to democracies or whatever. I mean, I think of it as a strictly financial decision. It's cheaper when you have, when you have a military government, it's just cheaper to, it's cheaper to get what you want done. Or what? Not even a military. When you have a dictatorship, a dictatorship is the cheapest form of government Correct. for anybody who wants to negotiate. Correct. Right. I mean, they've spent over a hundred and ten billion dollars in Africa in two thousand nineteen alone. Getting a democratic party would undercut their cheap labor, the abundance of supply and raw material, and and the strong market potential. It's not in their best benefit to have a democratic party. So yeah, it's not a matter of morals. It's a matter of supply and demand. So the I'm uh, not I'm not sure that we need to have a military government. I, I I'm sorry. I think Ethiopia went through that type of experiment with the socialism junta where thousands were assassinated. So I I, I don't think uh, I hope at least the population is not going to go back to that. Uh, I, I I just wanted to point that out. Um it would be a very difficult one, right? Um yeah, uh, for countries that haven't experimented with that, it might be something they want to experiment with, but we did experiment with that for 17 years during the Cold War and during the West versus the East kind of experiment, the scramble for Africa, that type of stuff. So I can tell you that the Ethiopian private sector was destroyed, people were destroyed, the um, you know the brain drain happened. That that was one of the biggest evacuation that happened. In fact, somebody was saying that when Afghanistan evacuation was was happening, they said that w w the other one was Ethiopia lifting and and uh, Vietnam. That's how much they were comparing it. So I hope I hope we are not going back to to that. Um, I don't think it's a, it's a place to go back to. So I mean, I think that's actually a fair statement because the, the the problem is if you so for outside parties, it's much more beneficial to have a dictatorship. But inside, um, nearly every country that's had uh, a dictatorship or a reactionary government that wasn't focused on um, on building the culture and lives of the people, right? Like that wasn't focused on there. There are there are conservative governments who are still very much supportive of enterprise and um and culture but the ones that are not um it's it's literally decades they they reverse the um social and financial position of their citizenry um decades back it takes a whole lifetime to try and come close to where they where you were 
before that happened for like it's something like every three years is a decade of regression so it's or it's more it's it's yeah it's it's crazy the the statistics are crazy i mean it's nobody looking at them would say oh my god like this is t- going to be terrible for us if we do this but that's not how obviously like they don't look at studies before they decide to do a coup it's just i mean if it succeeds it's 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 exactly what i think it was uh it was either sharon or lakeisha said that you know it will go back into the um uh it goes back into par- poverty it's 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 insane but it's statistically shown it's it's crazy but it, it it's, already it's exactly yeah. haiti, haiti is a great Alex, model for that you can just look at haiti um, it, so, so the reference point was that Myanmar in the past six months has already slipped back into poverty levels not seen in 20 years. So, I mean, exponentially. So, um, yeah, so, so yeah, the implications are they're 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 severe and they they hit fast and you know i spent um a few hours having lunch six hours having lunch with some friends yesterday and um many of them have moved out of myanmar so two of them are myanmar nationals there were people from australia originally people from uk australia um canada etc so we talk a lot about we have myanmar noodles every weekend but yesterday was Italian. But anyway, so we talk a lot about, you know, these types of situations and it's just devastating to, you know, to to see how quickly any measure of progress can quickly unravel. So so Sharon, I think you mentioned Haiti, but 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 Haiti and Myanmar, I, I think are on they were in completely different trajectories, meaning that 10 years ago, there were not modern roads, there were not modern buildings There were, Myanmar was set like um, Cuba, you know, in terms of, you know, the implications of the embargo and um, the sanctions um, until 2012. And then from 2012 until last year, the rate of development, particularly because of Chinese and other investments, was off the charts. And now it slipped back within a handful of months to, you know, these poverty levels. So, 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 so yes, I think we need to, I think Sudan is probably closer to the Haitian context from a development standpoint. Um, But, you know, Sudan is is clearly much less stable than than Haiti, so so it's 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 really going to impact people's lives and the yeah. overall trajectory of development. Sudan has been like that for the past like forty years, though. So it's a very special case, and obviously in the creation of South Sudan as well, you can see that in alignment together. But <clears throat> one thing that I did want to point out was that um, China owns a lot of railways and freight railways for. Um, for Ethiopia and like most of Africa, especially Ethiopia, right, where it's like um, about 70% of the international import and export comes from the Djibouti freight line, which is the one that stretches across the whole land. So, and obviously with all of these things happening in East Africa, it's like hard to pay that money back once you start creating turmoil in these places. So um, the debt is just going to rise and rise and China's going to, you know, either want their money back or own the whole lot, right? So the whole vertical of like just um these freight lines, but it just seems way. Even the destabilization in Egypt, you we can also see where that goes in terms of military um uh, military might being used to leverage positioning in politics, and then China has a great hand in 
Nigeria, South Africa, Angola, Zambia, Ghana, they are everywhere in Africa. They expect a return. And if that return means undermining politics, they will do so. Well, I mean, Zambia has already defaulted in, in their debt, right? I mean, earlier this year. The copper mine, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Ethiopia could be next because I mean we we owe so much money to the the Chinese. But the only good news is I don't think we signed any port because we don't have a port. So at least uh, <laughs> you know, Kenya is the one that signed uh, the port. I think Mombasa. If they default in something that that you know, like uh, is Hemen here, I think like similar to Sri Lanka, but we are heavily, heavily indebted into the Chinese, like uh, you know, the railway, the the highway, the you name it uh, that that the Chinese paid. So we have so much debt. The prime minister himself, I think, um, at the beginning or in the middle of COVID, said that. He is hoping, like, um, you know, IMF, including the Chinese who have been creditors, can actually think about uh, modifying the the debt. So we'll see. But I think most African countries are heavily, heavily indebted to China. So hopefully we are not. Can we we zoom out on this for what this means uh, fiscally for China? They're dealing with the debt crisis internally. They're dealing with external debt crises where they have default of who they've lent to in other countries. And then we heard earlier that their entire real estate market is, what, $52 trillion? Um, shit's about to hit the fan, y'all. Yeah, but the thing that concerns me is their ability to collect, right? So this is the biggest issue of, of international debt that's offered by state entities um, and, and that's usually very differently handled than something that's offered by an IFI or an international financial institution like the World Bank or something like that. But, um, but this is a, I mean, this is the, the biggest problem. And this is something that's been decades of debate and not just, um, you know, the uh, African debt to China. It's also African debt to the U.S. and then there's also some European debt. Like there's all sorts of stuff that's happening where people owe money. And the big issue is what happens when you need to call your loan? And that is the part that's the big sticking issue because once you actually say, okay, a lot of these things are um, secured and they a lot of them are. Like if they built the railway, they probably own the actual railway, et cetera. But what are they going to do? Are they going to take it over and then and then try and, and charge like all the all the tickets or whatever are going to be theirs? Are they going to try? And this actually happened one time to to when the price of metal was high um, to try and actually reclaim it. <laughs> uh, that's not it's not feasible right now. But I mean, what are they planning on doing? This is the kind of thing I think that people aren't thinking about when they do these huge loans or whatever. They don't really think about what happens if you hit a crisis point and you need to collect and you're not a bank and you're not set up for recovery and retrieval and collections, right? So what exactly are they going to, this is the scariest part, is what if they claim a part of GDP, right? If they take a part of revenue, which is something that I know several governments have tried to do, it's very, very damaging. If they try and say, I'm a creditor, I should be able to get 
your revenue before you spend it on public service and other issues. And that's a big problem. So that's the stuff that I think, like as people, we all need to start looking at is what exactly happens when all of these interconnected countries, that's just happening more and more and more, when you reach a crisis point and you want to collect on your loan, what are you actually going to do in order to collect on it? Most people think they won't do anything. And I don't think that's true anymore. Well, no, I think uh, I I wish Haman was here, but I think in Sri Lanka case, they took the poor. They took the poor that they were going to use it for their purposes for 99 years. That was the deal. So they just collected that way. Uh, In Kenya, they haven't defaulted in, but in Kenya that they signed that they would have ownership of the poor for however long they signed on. So it is not that we need to think about it. They are doing it. Uh, in mm. Zambia, I know that yes. they, the government is trying to work out uh, some kind of financing with the IMF uh, where they can probably extend about $12 billion. Um, I, I, I don't think, at least from my knowledge, I don't think that has been finalized yet, but they have been trying to negotiate if they can give them some kind of credit to to, to pay the, the debts and and work out that way uh, because they they defaulted in, in in I think in March so they have been trying to work it out but like you said Tyler they have also access to the minerals the underground minerals the coppers and things like that so um, yeah they will collect because that's what they did in Sri Lanka for sure so yeah china wants the um, ports and airports of pretty much all of asia and africa as well like whenever someone is about to default they take the airport or they take the railway system or they take the port and that's pretty much how most of these are set up and um how you see most of these kind of deals go especially when the com- countries i mean not companies these countries can't pay back as well like the belt and road initiative is um is about to be you know one of the biggest like just um international trade initiatives in the world and obviously china is the one that's running that so when they're working with places in west africa east africa and asia as well they're low-key just winning pretty much all of the accounts and taking all of the infrastructure that is um, necessary to that country yeah there's an interesting we got vinay I, I invited him up already. Vinay, I, I got I clicked invite on you. The one notable wrinkle in all this is the Pakistan, which has arguably been China's biggest investment uh, on a of any country in the Belt and Road thus far. And they're now being met with um uh terrorism against the projects. And and murders of their engineers in Pakistan. And that's causing them to <laughs> reevaluate, uh, recalibrate, recalibrate. Uh, you know, China, chi- China really doesn't want to become the hegemon, to be honest. They, they really don't know what they're taking on by this. Like, this is the can of shit we got set. We got dealt to become the world policeman. And they don't realize that being the, the the hegemon of the world, the reserve currency of the world comes with that, you know, so they're going to have to patrol the oceans and deal with pirates. Um, you know, like you hit the nail on the head, uh, everything about trade is dictated by the fact that we provide free and clear passage of the seas. And once we pull out of that, they're going to have to pick it up. 
So the next article is from Poppy that Amazon expands their two-hour home delivery of groceries to 14 new cities. And the New York Times has a headline, wanting, looking for whistleblowers. Do you work at Amazon or another powerful employer? We're interested in learning as much as possible about how employers manage their workforces. <laughs> sure. Sure, that that's not a honeypot. No, not at all. Not at all. There's nothing nefarious here. We just want to know. We just want to know what's Wait, going on. You wrote this article, sorry? I just tweeted it. New York Times. The headline reads, Do you work at Amazon or another powerful employer? We're interested in learning as much as possible about how employers manage their workforces. <laughs> is it so sponsored the, by like they, a law firm? Like a yeah, I was going to say, in the span of in the span of three weeks, we've seen the New York Times become a tabloid, become a Sokolov, Sokolov law firm. You know, Larry H. Parker. <laughs> um, uh, you know, now now what's next? Are they going to be uh, you know performing tricks for money? It says. If you have knowledge related to this topic as a worker, contractor, manager, human resources staffer, or executive, please share it with us below. Your resources will help shape our follow-up reporting. Please be as specific as possible and include as many details as you can. Written evidence, if you have it, is extremely helpful. <laughs> uh, the New York Times deserves a nasty award for that because that's disgusting. They're tro now they're just straight-up trolling. <laughs> Like yeah. this is like at midnight. This is like at midnight. You know, you're watching TV and this commercial comes on. It's like, do you have information about oh, large corporations? Okay, check this out. Chasing profit. Check it out. Do our work for I us. I just tweeted out the link, and here's the first question. It's a survey. Here's the first question of the survey. What workplace practices at Amazon do you think we should know about? Or outside of Amazon, can you provide specific examples of workplace practices the New York Times should look into? <laughs> oh shit! There's yeah, definitely yeah. written by a law yeah. firm. Tom, if you go That's to the not top, leading or probing at all. <laughs> go to the top. Go to the top drawer. Get the nasty award out for the New York Times. Yep. Holy shit! I've never seen anything like this. No, we're seeing the evolution. It's linked. It's linked. It's and linked the, to the Great Resignation. Oh, I'm sorry. Keep going. Sorry. I just, I just remember that the news that uh, some girls, they plotted a research website to maybe find some TikTok influencer, uh, influencer and plotted this one. That would be a way to end the list. I, I kind of think that maybe they have something that they consider really, really juicy, but can't get confirmation. And that's why they're resorting to this. Or maybe there's an, uh, a program where you can get a certificate in 18 short months. I feel like this is like a, you know, like a, one of those late night TV things. Doesn't it seem like it? You know, do you? No, that's what I'm saying. Have, this is it's crazy. Have you been, I mean, honestly, have, like that's, have you been mistreated at work? We've literally yeah, watched, watched the prestigious journal devolve into literally dog shit. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a coincidence. Twelve months, like literally, like Pulitzer Prize winning, world renowned, and this is what they're doing. Like investigative journalism gone out the window, and yeah, this is just nasty on all fronts, honestly. 
It, it's no coincidence that it's happening during the Great Resignation because the threshold for people being unhappy is so much lower than any time in the and, past few decades. And Ty- Tyler, this is just like what happened with reality TV, right? Because, uh, you know, you, I, I've mentioned before the atrocities of my voting history, but we had a reality president, right? So you had writers that were only covering reality and not doing any any real investigative re- reporting. So now, just like our content's gone to poop, you know, our reporting's kind of gone to poop now. And, and it's because they just reported on reality for the last four years, which was actually more of a reality scene, more like fiction than reality. So Yeah. But whoever like, said it was that like it was very these... likely um, that they actually had something that they just needed confirmation, that might be true, but there are all sorts of services that you can use, like Harrow and these other ones where you can yeah. tell you, a journalist, you find yeah. people that's it's secret still, right? So you can say like, we need people to con- to confirm or verify. Like I see those all the time. So yeah. I don't know why they this is like, like ambulance chasing, chasing like it's the weirdest, <laughs> most, yeah, it's, it's so gruesome. Like, I, and this is the thing like because like just on the way that I run and stuff like that, it's like there's so much that's necessary to actually be an investigative journalist and you know be outside and see all of the news that is you know that other people don't see and then when you get such a place like the new york times doing this it's like the fall of one of the great titans or whatever you want to call it right so and what chris said especially when it comes down to them being prestigious and all of this it's like why this is like wow. this is like yeah. this is like in Better Call Saul when he ran that ad, you know? I'm wondering I, I this is Alex at somewhere eighteen million roads down from the top. Um I, I don't know, I, I get calls fairly regularly from reporters, you know, looking for stories on various things from, you know, China to labor market practices and i wonder if this is any different and I, and I see some of my journalist friends put out tweets about hey you know do you work here would love to talk to you about x y and z um also in canada where i live there have been stories recently about union suppression and um you know quite a lot of stories about you know people getting fired from amazon so i wonder if that's just a continuation of of that theme that seems like it's trending pretty well i don't know yeah like Okay, next one up here is from Sundamini sends this one in from the Hindustan Times in India, but it's about Australia. It says, Australia proposes new rules to force parental consent for minors on social media. Under the draft law relating to minors and social media, Privacy Watchdog, the office of the Australian Information Commissioner, would receive the full... The full investigation and enforcement powers. Australia plans to make social media companies obtain parental consent for users under the age of 16 and threaten fines of up to uh, $7.5 million for internet platforms that fail to comply under draft legislation published on Monday. Okay. Next one is, well, let me tweet that out for you. There it goes. Next one is from Evan, and it says, Robot Cafe hires people with disabilities to operate robotic waiters. So you can have people who are not able to leave, who cannot leave their home, 
It says, at the Dawn Avatar Robot Cafe in Tokyo, diners are served by robot waiters, but these bots aren't AIs. They're avatars controlled by employees with disabilities working remotely. I love this. And that is such a huge game changer, base. Evan has the next one from BBC. The plant with seeds that can grow meat. I think we covered this one a week ago. But what's the date on this? Yes, it is from a week ago. We covered that one. And the next one from Poppy from Amazon. Amazon announces a new robotics factory in the United States. Well, have you told the New York Times about this factory, Amazon? They are kind of interested in this kind of stuff. I hear they're interested in what you're up to, Amazon. All the way back in 2012, Amazon began implementing robotics innovations within its operations. Now the company's advancing its visions for autonomous factories. That's the headline, and it talks about the new facility in Westboro, Massachusetts. The move builds on Amazon's goal of expanding its manufacturing capabilities in the United States. We care about the communities we operate. This is why we are proud to expand high-tech robotics manufacturing in the U.S. and in Massachusetts specifically with the opening of this new facility. Humanless factories. The next one from Poppy says, Artificial intelligence has found an unknown ghost ancestor in the human genome. Our family history is more complicated than we know. Nobody knows uh, Nobody knows who she was, just that she was different. A teenage girl from over 50,000 years ago, of such strange uniqueness, uniqueness, she looked to be a hybrid ancestor to modern humans that scientists have never seen before. Only recently, researchers have uncovered evidence she wasn't alone. In a 2019 study analyzing the complex mess of humanity's prehistory, scientists used AI to identify an unknown human ancestor species that modern humans encountered and shared alliances with on the long trek out of Africa millennia ago. About 80,000 years ago, the so-called out of Africa occurred when part of the human population, which already consisted of modern humans, abandoned the African continent and migrated to other continents, giving rise to the current populations, explained evolutionary biologist from the University of Pompo Fabra in Spain. As modern humans forged this path into the landmass of Eurasia, they forged some other things too, breeding with ancient and extinct hominids from other species. Up until recently, these occasional sexual partners were thought to include Neanderthals and, what's this word? Denisovans. 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 There you go. Thank you. And the latter of which were unknown until 2010. uh, Indigenous of Australia, by the way. So that's interesting. But in this study, a third X from long ago was isolated in Eurasian DNA thanks to deep learning algorithms sifted through a complex mass of ancient and modern human genetic code using a statistical technique known as Bayesian interference or inference. Sorry, the researchers found evidence of what they call a third introgression, a ghost, archaic population that modern humans interbred with during the African Exodus. This population is either related to the Neanderthal Denisova clade or diverged early from the Denisova lineage. 
in a sense, oh, meaning that it's possible this third population in humanity's sexual history was possibly a mix themselves of Neanderthals and Denisovans. In a sense, that's from, awesome. In a sense, from I the. I was going to say that. Yeah. Go ahead, Messi. I was going to say, you all are from Ethiopia. You know, I say that all the time that the oldest human being that the anthropologists found out years ago is Lucy, three million years old. She is the one that they traced down um, the earliest human being. So there you go, guys. Did she you die from are... using Facebook too much? Because we could write a story about that. <laughs> Ask the Jeopardy question, Tyler. What did Ask Facebook know about question. Lucy's... How did, how did Lucy die? I think... <laughs> inst 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 how, how did Instagram make her feel about herself? She you was a teenager, you know. <laughs> so more susceptible. <laughs> You know, the funny part, actually, they also found older Ardi. They named him Ardi, but they don't think that he was um, uh, a straight line for a human being development. They think he was a kid. But anyway, he is five million years old. They keep on finding like this, the oldest human being, human remains um, in Afar region of Ethiopia. So there you have it. Those two oldest ones are still from here. Okay. Yeah, and in general, he, he, he votes. He he votes today. Trust me. <laughs> he died of. I think he's still on Facebook. <laughs> he died of the Benadryl challenge, folks. No, no, no. He developed a tick. <laughs> so the the next one is about uh, an AI can change a fashion model's pose and alter their clothes to match soon. The model showcasing your online clothing purchases may not have actually made the pose in the picture. That's because a neural network can now repose human beings and change their clothes in the photographs without losing key details. Um, Virginia Tech. Uh, somebody named Badur Al-Bahar at Virginia Tech and her colleagues developed an algorithm that breaks down a source image into constituent body parts with a neural network identifying where key points and limbs are. It's then fed the target pose of how the user wants the model to stand before it identifies the new position of irrelevant body parts. And so there's a video, and it shows that even after you've hired the model and done the photo shoot, the model goes home, goes on to do future work. You want the model to move in different directions you can now move the model um body parts and the clothes will move with it so won't they just end up with like five base models maybe and yeah. then everybody's Asian smiling put girl the will be doing on. everything like, why have models right Asian smiling girl will be doing everything yeah. Tyler, right so the well, question is where... can the model go out on dates for me this <laughs> is this is the role of that simulated data though right because you, you can get a pose of somebody, and just as, as, as Tyler described, there's a, a process where if you, if you just think about what you're trying to do, you could have the, these ideas of these different three-dimensional um, ways that you want to re-represent somebody. The question, I think, here is likeness, right? Isn't that yeah. – if, if a lawyer can speak to likeness, uh, you know, the, the, the difference between real photography versus – 
you know some of this other type of yeah, you know, the AI use of your likeness. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like, like um, models like do get paid on usage. So if uh, like they get paid per campaign, and if someone wants to reuse that image or their likeness again for another campaign, they have to get paid on top of that as well. But it depends on how many times that this like entity will say wants to use this model's image, right? And if there's people that are part of the company now that's like let's say street casting who don't know any better and you know these companies can collect data and yeah then become they won't get paid as much when it comes to usage as you know people that are actually models and know what the industry is like yeah that's actually a big problem uh, i think it's happening a lot more in video games where they'll have a bunch of uh, actors and actresses come in and get photographed and they'll use somebody's uh, bottom part of their face, but someone else's um, top part of their face, and then therefore everybody else who would normally get paid uh, like well gets paid much much less. So a um, lot of uh, cost cutting corners here. You're gonna see a cryptographic layer that's gonna come into images that's based on uh, spatial and geometric data. So like if you want to know why the iPhone 13 has lidar. It's because they're capturing your geometry. And when you capture geometry and something like the lighting, you actually add this cryptographic layer to the deep fake um, and kind of have a way to detect deep fakes. So hopefully what we'll see is a world where you capture your image and that becomes the key. Like basically this actually caught me and any images that don't have this key are not me. So Okay. I mean, I think ideally, wouldn't it be best if they just said, "Okay, upload your image, and we'll we'll see you. We'll model this on it's, you." Like, it's and then be you don't your, need a model be your... because, really, what are you trying to sell? Like, you know, they'll need. You know, I'm sure the stores could have like one of these five models that they could license and relicense, and it's much cheaper than hiring a a model and getting hair and makeup and lighting and the photographer. It's super cheap that way. And then everybody can just upload their own thing from the mirror, you know, like the mirror that does that, you know, the in-depth scan or whatever. And then you try your own, your clothes on, on. This is where like. Super simple. Nobody goes to a store again. Okay. Well, yeah, one step further would be actually having yourself as the model rather than anything else. Alex, okay. we lost you. Oh, I sorry, I got a poor signal thing here. Um, uh, better. Oh, I I was just saying that um that I mean ideally, like what's going to happen? The cheapest thing to do is to have a few base models, right? That you can they'll determine which model is you're most responsive to based on like your search history and location. So it looks most like you. And then if you want to turn it on, then you have your, uh, you know, you upload a full scan of your body from like, you know, the mirror, there's a mirror that does this stuff now. So you upload your body scan and then they show you the clothes on you and nobody ever goes to a store again and we all die happy. It's great. You remember that halo sneakers, Tyler, that we saw? maybe a few weeks ago halo sneak sneakers no no, no um, um yeah remember there were you were there was this program and it was basically showing the sneakers where they were placing it on i'm sorry not halo hologram uh, hologram sneakers yeah 
Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So that'll be awesome to have in front of you. You get to see the actual clothes and, you know, all different angles of it. Yep. So we got... Really ex- Go ahead. Virtual fitting room, this technology already, like, back in 2017, they already cooperated with, uh, like, American's brand Gap. So it's not nothing new, but it's not, uh, like, a, uh, we're promoted yet. So lately, like, I, I found the news, they said, uh, it will um, run uh, widely from 2021 to 2027 to uh, 99, uh, nine, uh, around 10 billion me- million. So I think they are still maybe using this AI with this virtual feeding room technology yet. But yes, I agree with Alexandra. I'd rather scan myself and just input my image and rather than model themselves. Yeah, I'm I, really, I, I think Uniqlo, Uni, Uniqlo, that that company that I think it's like a Japanese company. I think uh, they they did this. They do this like it's a VR. No, it's not even VR. It's AR. It's an AR sort of thing where you can see how different colors or different outfits look on you. Um, <clears throat> but it's not really your dimensions. It's done like just against your image, so it's not the same thing as like doing something placing a, an item with its particular dimensions on a body with very specific dimensions and seeing how it hangs and things like that. It's more like if you hung a, like a shirt on a hanger over your body to kind of see how it looked, that's kind of more like what it does right now. Hey, it's Suzanne. So when I was with Accenture, actually, we had a couple of clients that we built um, AI for to actually do exactly what you're talking about, Alexandra, but not I mean, it's actually on your body. So it actually, they ask for your measurements when they, um, as part of what you had to fill out um, before, you know, you per se tried anything on. So it was actually really cool. Okay, here we go with the next tweet from Sudamini. And and it's about uh, the the first article we read when we met in the other time zone we meet twice a day which you can see by clicking on the title of the room and when we met nine hours ago the biggest story was about how somebody tried this really strange experiment in india on facebook where they uh accepted everything that facebook suggested to follow And then within 13 days, they said that the account had very nationalistic, extreme views, yada, yada, which is a very strange experiment. And then they claim, ah, Facebook's making me, you know, turning me into an extremist. Um, And so now a publication in India is covering this story. And the headline says from the Indian Express, in India, Facebook grapples with an amplified version of its problems for the next three weeks. The account operated by a simple rule. Follow all recommendations generated by Facebook's algorithms to join groups, watch videos, and explore new pages on the site. Uh, It says, on February 4th, 2019, a Facebook researcher created a new user account to see what it was like to experience the social media site as a person living in Kerala, India. For the next three weeks, the account operated by the single rule of following all recommendations generated by Facebook algorithms to join groups, watch videos, and explore new pages on the site. The result was an inundation of hate speech, misinformation, and celebrations of violence, which were documented in an internal Facebook report published later that month. 
Here's the quote. Following this test's user newsfeed, I've seen more images of dead people in the past three weeks than I've seen in my entire life total, the Facebook researcher wrote. The report was one of dozens of studies and memos written by Facebook employees grappling with the effects of the platform in India. And yeah, interestingly, India picked up on this one in one of their publications, and now they're discussing it as well. How how different is that from, say, someone going to a restaurant and saying, I, uh, okay, Cheesecake Factory, uh, I'm, I'm, I went to Cheesecake Factory every day, ordered everything that the menu suggested, and I got fat. And I got obese. And you you are an evil restaurant because you're making people diabetic. That's yeah, a bad example. There, there's a lot of... Ev- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. Well, there was a, no, movie, a, bad e- there was a movie about that called Supersize Me. Uh, Spurlock did that with at McDonald's, where he went to McDonald's every day, three meals a day, made him super huge. Doctor said, you should stop doing this. You're going to get diabetes. Uh, this happens every day. It, incredibly similar to what's happening on social media. People cannot control their own con- their diets of their content and their food. And we have a diabetic epidemic in America, both in terms of their content and their food. There is science. Don't lie. You want a McDonald's right now, Tyler? I'm craving McDonald's well, right now. Go ahead. If you yes. keep saying that, so, you're going to make me hungry. Yeah, hang on. Hang on. Wait, hang on. <laughs> okay. All right. Hang on. Whoa, horsey. So <clears throat> we have a an epidemic of chronic disease here in the States. And there, this is very well researched with regards to what happened here in the States with processed foods and, and uh, carbs and all that and how it works in the brain. So, I mean, behavioral science, there's a lot, there's a lot of studies. I mean, Facebook just as a social app, it's, it's just, it, it, it is very naturally will be the, the, the mechanisms will come from the behavioral science that we know. So, so, I mean, I think the question with regards to responsibility is, you know, labeling and things like this, but, but to deny that there is science to support a cliff that some people are going to fall off of and they're, you know, without any kind of warning signs or anything. I'm just saying that the, you, you've got to just be clear with regards to the risk of use of your product and things like that. And that's right. We also, that, that, we also have a license to drive a car, right? Because we know driving a car is kind of dangerous. And if you put your child in a car, we have rules that say you need to put them in a seat because you're a stupid parent. And if we didn't have this rule, you wouldn't do that, and you would endanger the life of your own child. Why do we not then have require people to have a license to have a child? We well, so so that's you, a deep you, dive. That's a you, deep dive room, bro. You <laughs> that's, you, that's you, you need a license to open a restaurant to make a fucking tuna sandwich, and you need to have an inspector come to make sure you know how to make a fucking tuna sandwich. But you're allowed to have twenty kids. So, so you know two what, things. Tyler, that's literally, then, then I'm done. Tyler. That's literally the first thing you say to yourself when you come back with a baby. You're like, how the fuck did they give me a child? Because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but this is, I mean, 
I this will was say the movie Parenthood the, the problem is not Facebook. The problem is stupid no. fucking people. Yeah, Wrong. But this was, this uh, it's was not that simple. It is that simple. The problem is not food. The problem is not food. The problem is stupid people. Let's find a metaphor. Hang on. As somebody who was, who was, who was, and I joke with my kid about this in her little car seat. I, you know, I, I'm a baby. I'm a boomer. So before we had seatbelts legislated to buy to, to the auto manufacturers that you had to put a seatbelt in your car, we are at the same kind of a position with with these behavioral technologies i i just so so parenting is ah, a whole other oh, you're claiming so, people are on. too stupid to know that facebook's bad for them but, no no so so okay so and i'll finish right here but because it's, it's not that people are too stupid there's the fact that we live in a society that on certain domains of whatever you want to call common sense that they need a nudge and and we believe that we're in a society that we want to have a communication and we want to look out for some people on both sides of that right we can there's all kinds of of inequities in in how we live when we, we when we want this free speech we want this free market we want this free everything but there is a cost right so all we're trying to say is that as you analyze these costs is it you know is the social cost of some of these behaviors something we want to tolerate and with even with covid and vaccines right front and center of all, of all of us there's a really big in our face kind of conversation about is there a social cost that we care about well for some of us we think about social costs and for others it's my personal liberty my personal right you know, you're the one who wanted to have kids. Go screw your family. And so we just want to cultivate a conversation. A conversation first. I'll just stop there. <laughs> yeah, but, we, you know, I saw how things sort of progressed, right? We were living in a state where things were conservative. The news was conservative. The, the media was conservative. You, you couldn't even cuss and, and have that aired, right? And you had groups that balked at that. Oh, freedom of speech, this is what we want. We want to sort of, you know, democratize our speech. We want the right to say and do whatever we want. Great, you got that. But you got that without thinking about the cost of it, right? And the cost for your children. Why then are you blaming the very companies that provided you that freedom of speech for the cost of it, the outcome? I think I stop full stop when we start to say that we're taking responsibility away from the individual and exactly. we're taking accountability away from the individual yep. and laying it on organizations. Precisely. You wanted this. You got this. Yeah, that's right. And yes, I, I'm sorry. I have a knee-jerk and, reaction. And now you, you have with a, the outcome. an entire generation of Americans being like, uh, uh, my company's doing things I don't like. Make it stop. Make it stop. Make it stop. And uh, I, you have to stop. And where are the police? I'm calling the police on you, Apple. Tim Cook, I'm calling the police on you. You made me think. You made me had a thought. I'm not supposed to think, and now I feel bad. And you did it. And this is violence. You committed violence on me. You sent me an email. You, this is violence. It's like you have this. We've created this incredibly fucked up generation of Americans because, precisely because. This, by the way, all these issues are not really happening here in Thailand, where people haven't fallen into this crazy trap. People are incredibly. We let people put their children on top of cars while they drive down the highway, and they know that child might fly off and die, and no one says anything about it. You're a stupid parent. That child's going to die. You you probably won't have another child. 
you need people need to learn responsibility. And sometimes you need to let them injure themselves so they can learn that responsibility. Americans and the parents of the recently are not allowing anyone to eat remotely injure themselves or learn the difficult, hard lessons they need to learn. And it's creating a really screwed up false reality. But part of that, so so why did this change? This is actually another thing that, yes, I read a crap ton of studies. I don't sleep. I sleep like two hours a night, so I read a ton. That's why this stuff is in my head. But what happened here? What, why did it happen that suddenly safety became an issue? Because child mortality through like the 50s was super high. It was accidents and polio. And there were like the before that, there were no child labor laws and kids didn't live. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of instilling safety on kids, that's why they played in the street and stuff like that. It was mm -hmm. like the odds of them surviving are very low. As things came into play, like vaccines, like um, like safety implements actually happening, like more common traffic rules and things like that. As that happened, suddenly you could actually feel like your kid could survive. And now the safety of your child is something that becomes important with respect to something that's like, why do why would we put things on corporations? Every single time that corporations have successfully lobbied in the U.S. to shift liability onto consumers or end users rather than take it themselves. So originally, if uh, it, the, the cars had all the liability and all the responsibility of, uh, of for people who got hit by them, right? Streets were for people, not for cars. But as cars came into play, the car companies did not want to accept that liability. So they invented jaywalking. Like literally that is why jaywalking is a crime. Walking in the street was commonplace. It was not a crime. It was a crime afterwards because the car companies wanted dominance over the streets for the use of their cars. Same thing with littering, right? It used to be the responsibility of like milk manufacturers and other manufacturers to make sure that they picked up the bottles and recycled. And we had very little littering. Once the, those manufacturers said, this is expensive and a lot of work for us, let's try and do single use stuff and we'll put it on the consumer. And it became, it's your part to clean up litter. That's when littering started to happen. Putting stuff on entities that can be held responsible in large mass is actually just way more functional and more likely to result in the end that everybody is looking for. That's just what the way that, that things have evolved. Like that's just how things work. So shifting it on to end users and then saying, well, you're being stupid or you're, you know, you're failing. It's really like you knew that would happen. Put it on the place where you can actually control all the, the control the environment, control all the output. That's well, the company level, companies should control a lot of this stuff because they have a lot more resources to handle it than other people do. The challenge, though, is the competing self-interests that drive companies forward, right? I mean, they want to do what's best for their users, but they also have financial incentives and goals driving their, you know, their behavior. So that's that's the it's this unfettered. So which uh, company should we put profit? Which company well, should we put it on to make people wear masks? Well, hang on. Chris's point was not directed. The mask company? They the mask focus, company needs to focus. make people wear masks? No, it's well, hang employers. On. It's right? profit. Employers. Oh, hang on, hang on. So We so have Chris, zero Chris, litter in Thailand. Zero. It's be, and it's not because of any company. Government. It's because people give a shit. No, it's because people were raised right. I don't want to get into that more. It's because we have personal responsibility. Because we're not stupid. Yes. 
Thailand is also much, much smaller than the United States. 100 million people to 300 million. Uh, we're we one just, third. So, so guys, I would not say a lot smaller. The real answer is we need leadership. It's not about companies, laws, or regulation. We need positive role models in life to guide this. You know, look at this room, and here goes a Chris tirade. But look at this room. All of us have differing levels of opinion, differing levels of education. Ah. We find a way to move forward. Notice we need to do in society. Notice that the European media, European media, notice that all of the publications who are ranting against Facebook are exclusively American media. There's tons of European media. Tons, tons, tons. None of them are participating in this jihad. Why is that? Because they realize how in incredibly stupid it is because they know Facebook is dangerous because they grow up with a totally different culture that people should be responsible for their own poor decisions and you're going to live with those consequences and the, the, the companies should not be your little nanny and we don't do that's not how it works in Europe that's how it's working in America and it's a real problem in America Europe Tyler is Tyler if we don't if we don't really if we don't really as a society even have a moral to watch some things that's that's a dangerous place to be do you really It's even more dangerous to create an entire generation of idiots who take no responsibility No no but Tyler I actually, I remember that the the shooting of the um, what is that Christian church, um, the the New Zealand was like yes, Christchurch. Yes, what, yes. It, is that what you really want to go? Really, that's where we want to go. That we're gonna. I don't. I don't see your point about Christ. What's your point about Christchurch? The massacre. Yeah, the massacre was live streamed. So what I'm saying is we shouldn't be allowing some platforms to do some things that that's the society shouldn't be allowing. Really, we all have censors, right? I'm, I'm still missing your point. The guy live streamed his massacre, but what's your point there? Are what you against live streaming? He wouldn't have done it if Facebook wasn't there. And then you can't say Oh, you don't think he would have murdered those people if he couldn't he live stream it? Somewhere else. Yes, he, no, he, he, what he said was... What he said was, yes, he got the, the, the whatever, the inspiration from Norway or that guy. And then that he really, really planned it to be live streamed. So it is creating that type of self-fulfilling, copycat and things like that. People normally wouldn't do. Ah, so let me explain to you what's going on there. Psychologically messy. So that individual is seeking attention. This is a, now starting to be a more well-understood aspect of these massacre the people who create these massacres is they're in desperate want of recognition even though it's really negative attention so many journalists and the politicians have come together be do because the experts have said hey you know what to stop the school shootings you want to stop school shootings stop reporting them because and especially when you report them do not show the face or the name of the individual this is the experts are teaching the journalists and the politicians, it's critically important, do not give any recognition to the perpetrator of these massacres because that will create copycats of people who are desperately, desperately in want and in need of recognition. So, Messi, going back, you're right that the killer in Christchurch was inspired by the killer in Norway because the killer in Norway became a celebrity in Norway. And the killer in Christchurch also wanted to be a celebrity. Facebook 
had very little to do with his wanting to become a celebrity. He used that because he wanted to amplify the visibility of him doing it. He wanted to make sure he got the recognition, right? But the way to stop those murders is precisely as the experts have said, stop giving them any recognition, stop reporting it. Can, yes, I, can I just yes, make yes, a little yes, tiny, tiny thing? Hold on. The, block, the tech news blockchain room is about to start. If anybody's interested in hearing about blockchain, the news analysis and how it applies to you, I'm going to go open it right now. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No problem. Thank you very much. Come join me when you're done. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're right. I'm not denying that, but I'm also saying that there are many things that amplify things. Yeah, but you, so but you were fundamentally confused. Facebook didn't inspire not, him I'm to not, do that. He, his own I'm desire not. for uh, attention because his parents didn't give him any is what inspired him to do that. I think what Messi yes. was saying is that he shouldn't have been able to live stream for that long and facebook should have took exactly. it down ah well the, well, well that's why you have well you china has solved that problem you have a facial recognition system every everybody who wants to live stream the face is recognized instantly the problem with forcing facial recognition onto every live streamer which china does everybody who's playing video games you're limited to one hour per day Three days a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If you try and go over that, the game shuts off. TikTok, kids are limited to 40 minutes per day. If you try to go over, it shuts off. They can do that because they have your face registered with the system. And also, if you say something in your stream that dear leader doesn't like, your, the live stream ends instantly. And you get visited to your home by the authorities. Who may or may not take you to, you know, into hold you and punish you, and you're no longer allowed on the thing. That's where the where a bit of the problem comes in. Net net, yeah. I, I'm I'm in favor of identity verification on social media. I think that would remove an incredible amount of the toxicity. I'm also in favor of facial recognition linking to your identity on those systems in the way that you described, so that but the what they would need to do to solve that technically is honestly, if people are, have a very efficient way to report that there's a problem on a live stream, like, like a red flag, like an emergency, like call nine one one after, you know, some percentage of those people that's, you know, st statistically significant, the live stream should be paused or cut off or, or re instantly reviewed. I agree with you. Like but the emergency tiger, tiger, stop button on. You are contradicting yourself right here, right there, right here, right in, in a second. You were saying that people should be responsible, personal responsibility, and nobody should do anything and things be free roaming. And now you are agreeing also we need some kind of moderation. No. That's all I was trying to say. No, 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 no. When, no, Messi. When people are binging on shit content and shit food, and then they have negative consequences later, which is what this article is about. The person says, I was ordering everything on the menu that Facebook was giving me. I ordered everything. They said 10 desserts. I ate all 10 of them. They gave me 20 more cheesecakes. I ate 20 cheesecakes and 50 cheeseburgers and everything. Else. And then I got fat. I got extremism. I got all this negative consequences. Yes, that's what happens. And you need to be intelligent enough to know that what you're reading is not a math textbook. You're not reading a history textbook. You're not reading good content. You're reading shit content, and it's bad for you. And you need to have enough of a brain, and your parents need to be good enough parents to teach you that.
And there's nothing that that platform can do to really stop you from doing this. And we know that because what what could Coca-Cola do to stop people, the, the diabetes epidemic? Smoking put uh, uh, photos on their cigarettes to try and tell people, don't buy our products. Our products are going to kill you. Cigarettes kill people. It says right on the package. They, they were forced by the government to do that, Tyler. It, was a right. Government. This is my point is, and people still smoke. Right? We That's right. And that, that, that one went on in nineteen sixty three. Of the decision we make in our lives. So that's the reason why as parents you have to teach your kids good values, good principles, so that they will be able to be a good person in in society and do good. I'm saying exactly. it's really it's so really crazy why. to put the burden on Facebook to police everything that happens on Facebook. It's Technically, not really possible. Even in America, where they culturally understand everything, they don't understand what the fuck's going on in Ethiopia. They have no clue what's going on in Botswana and Sierra Leone and um, uh, 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 what are the the Papua New Guinea? Like you think Facebook moderators have a clue what what the cultural context of what's happening in Papua New Guinea? How are they supposed to decide which side is right and wrong in this skirmish between these two tribes? Who you know they don't this that this Facebook is not designed for that. So it's Tyler, but 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 parents globally can teach their kids. Hey, you know what? That platform, that's shit content. It's gonna fucking rot your brain. How about that? How about we put the responsibility there? Oh, listen to the silence in the fucking crowd now. Wait, it's wait, shit whoa, whoa, fucking whoa, whoa, whoa. content. No, no. Just, okay. It's not a fucking math textbook. <laughs> You're not going to Facebook to learn anything of any value. But, but Tyler, can I say something? I agree with you. Facebook doesn't have this responsibility. But at the same time, Facebook, like in Taiwan's division, lay censored several things that were offend be offensive in China. So at the same time they do the regulation thing. They do the police thing. So I think they have problem with it. I mean the Facebook. They should um, um maybe on the one side no regulation at all or on the other side they have a precise um principle of doing this. So at the same time I, I mean they, these are two Two things to come have conflicts, right? So, I think they that's have, the problem. They have, they have to comply jurisdictionally, though. That's the thing. Is no, they censor such things who's, like the. Who's to blame for the diabetes agree. epidemic in America? I gotta agree that at the end of the day, it's gonna become the responsibility. You know, I think Tyler, you're you're pointing on it. Cheryl, you're talking about it. At the end of the day, you know, it, it has to it has to turn back to your conditioning, to your upbringing. It has to come back to your parenting, you know, skills. And I gotta, I can't, I can't help but think about the Scandinavian countries that are thinking about four day uh, weekdays of working, work, four work days, days yeah. work days. And, and I gotta tell you, I mean, people in America just do not have the time that they used to have to start spending, to find out what's going on with their kids. I mean, they just, you know, they're, they're, you've got a lot of kids going in from morning to night. They've got activities planned out for them and, you know, to keep them busy, to keep them learning, to keep them socializing. But at the same time, 
they are just, there's just not enough time for, you know, back in the day, you used to have a village raising a kid. You used to have your neighbors, you used to have your extended family members, your uh, your family members all together. They just don't have the time anymore. So you've got to hire, I mean, this, this, this whole idea of, you know, this capitalism uh, experiment that we're still part of right now to this degree in America. I mean, this is a working experiment. We're still trying to figure out how it's going to play out and we're seeing it. People just don't have the time to give to their kids like they used to. And and we're looking at what that looks like. The parents just I think aren't it, there. They can't have that. They don't have the time like they used to. They don't have the resources. They just, you know, they don't. So I'm, I'm really wondering how these Scandinavian countries who are now probably identifying and, and recognizing this. Oh, I can tell you. How this is going to play out. Oh, because you get 16 months paid maternity leave. And I don't buy the idea that parents don't have the time. They don't make the time. Too often I see parents on their smartphone at the park with their kids. I'm sorry. People used to spend time with their kids, watching their kids. I think there's also a huge part of the responsibility here that kind of echoes what Tyler was saying. I think the onus, the responsibility is on the parents. And that's a, it's that's okay. an it's on the parents. I'm going to jump in as a parent. Go ahead. I actually gave up a big career so that I could stay home with my kids. I, I'm um, gonna, I'm gonna bust out the. I, I, I'm doing this non-sarcastically that I'm applauding that. I think that's actually uh, brilliant and worthy of applause. I, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you. So, but I'm not here to get applause. I'm more, more importantly, I, I think when we say all, it's a, it's too big. Um, some is really great, but I tell you, it's really hard with social, social media to really monitor your kids. I was not that parent at the park on social media, but I tried to, I got an Instagram account so that I could monitor my kids' postings. I never posted once when they were, you know, online. Um, and I continue to monitor my kids' postings and they're 19 and 21. They hate it, but you know, too bad, so sad. Um, but it's hard. It's really hard, guys. It's not easy to raise kids right now. It's it's difficult. So yeah. for those of you parents out there, you know, more power to you. There's so maybe we Tyler, remember I shared with you the story on the fisherman and the businessman? Yes. Can, have you read the entire <laughs> Cheryl, I'm, if I read it, it will embarrass you because everyone has read that. 10 years ago. Are you sure you want me to no, do? No, but, but the moral of the story, just tell them the moral of the story. Yeah, just everyone knows the moral of the story. This is a child story that everyone has read that you just discovered. And if I read it to them, no, they're, they're going to, just like you just learned about Bob Marley three days ago, the fact that you just learned about this children's story that everybody has known for 20 years, it's going to embarrass you if I read it to them. You know it? You didn't know it? The entire world knows it, Cheryl. Like, just like the Beatles and Bob Marley. So they know the moral of the story, right? They they all, everyone knows the story. Yeah, and then why are they not doing it? Great question, Cheryl. It's <laughs> a good question. Cheryl, it's Cheryl, Cheryl, it's because it's there's something called the rat race. Okay. Yeah, you can get out of and, it. And, like, and we get it. No, it, it, it's not that easy. It takes sacrifice. I had to jump out of the rat race to try to watch my kids, and I was still behind. <laughs> you know, like so. Let, let, let's let's okay, Cheryl. One moment, please. The, if I might, there's different segments. I think the point, the, the if, if we want to actually have a really great conversation about it, we, we just need to be more granular. That's all. That's all I'm offering is we, we need to be more granular about how we analyze and discuss the topic, right? There are some parents, it's a small group, that are doing pretty well. 
in terms of, of, of child rearing. But there are absolutely, especially after a generation and a half of of profit, you know, kind of solely profit oriented corporate stuff, that we 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 have a decline in the middle. I'm talking about America. We have a decline in the middle class. I mean, the numbers are just a lot, you know, a lot a lot smaller. People are having to work a couple jobs, a couple three jobs. So it just makes it tougher from a time perspective. You've got a lot of dads that run off. You've got a, we've got a lot of social degradation of of our culture that that has started to put much more pressures on 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 parents and and so it's just more it's a much more what's the term nuanced super way more nuanced uh, conversation and, and and the finger pointing is 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 we we you know we got to, we, we it'll help us navigate the finger pointing in terms of personal responsibility um laws regulation if we can start to get more granular that's all i would propose so cheryl just to point the picture here's what the rat race looks like if you have three children and you're working um if you're working you need to find somewhere to put those three kids right so how much does child care cost a week for uh you know three kids under four you know probably four hundred dollars a week for each kid so you're you're already behind forty eight hundred dollars after tax, before you even get started. So to even clear that, you need to, what's that? It's a, it's, a cho- it's, it's a choice you make to have three kids, right? And to live in Yes, it is. But um, we're, what we're telling you is, is that this is the rat race that we're trying to describe why it's not so right. easy it's, to just make yeah. time because you need to go work to go make revenue. And then you have to throw your mortgage on top of it, your car payments, your insurance, your living expenses. This, so this is, is life. All, I get it. Everybody yeah. has this. It's all the, it's but all the, this is the rat race. Life, that, right? This is the rat race described. So the reason why I said, screw it, I'm going to raise my own kids. I'm going to take a pay cut. I'm going to work at night. And, and guess what? I don't, I don't talk about this, but I was going to Grubhub. I was going to Instacart. I was going to scrape and do whatever the fuck I could mm-hmm. to get an extra leg up and try to get more out of the rat race. And that's the challenge that parents have. And so at the end of the night, when it's 11 p.m. and you're finally touching base with your spouse, hey, how was your day? You don't even have time to talk about your day because you're so exhausted. And then the, and then you fall asleep and the alarm mm. rings and the rat, you get back into the rat race. So I am blessed. I am blessed I fell into a startup company where the world needed somebody with my talents and I'm, I'm, I'm executing on it. But not that many people have that. And they're in this rat race I'm describing right now. And some of them are going cold and some of them are going hungry. I am blessed. This conversation cannot be a complete conversation unless we talk about just the whole decision to be a parent. Right. And, and the use of I used to I used to wear my Jimmy, if you all know what that means, all the time. OK, there's a whole culture. So there's a whole culture of, oh, you don't want to wear your Jimmy. And people find themselves in the kind of. step or hey we're gonna get married and all this stuff and so and i suspect all of us through our lives we've met people who had to have make some big decisions on things like that right so cheryl that's a really good point and parent but parenting is 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 tough to be a quote-unquote good parent you know to be present and all that and everything that goes with that people when you're dating you don't really fully appreciate that and i mentioned this once when we got in this conversation a few months ago it's like you. I think it was we were talking. We were talking about what was it the uh, the DNA testing of what was your DNA? You know, in terms of, of when you're dating, right? 
most of your lives, if you'd even this whole marriage conversation, when you're dating people, it needs to be like, hey, how good of a parent are you going to be? Because for decades, you know, two thirds of your life, you're a parent, right? This, this little, this fun little romance and all of the things that, that people try to optimize before they tie the knot is very different from the reality of how good are you as a parent. So I'm done speaking. Yeah. Thanks, for Tyler, for sure. cultivating this conversation. My 21-year-old said she doesn't want to have children. And I, I, had a husband, I have a husband that did the bait and switch. When we got married, he said, whoever makes less money will stay home with the kids. And so at first, we both went back to work, and he was happy. And then I decided, no, I really wanted one of us to stay home with the kids. And I said, okay, I'm calling you out. I make three times your salary. And hopefully he's not in this room. Um, I make three Oof. times your salary. I'm going to call you out. You need to stay home with the kids. And he said, I can't do it. I won't do it. And so I quit. I mean, so guys, it really is. It's not, you know, people can talk. And David is absolutely right. But when the shit hits the fan is when the kid shoots out of your body. And all of a sudden, you've got this little being and you want the best for that little being. So what are you going to do? Well, yeah, it's 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 all recent times that people have decided, oh, this is going to be this and that's going to be that. Like everyone has worked apart from obviously till um, in the fifth, before the 50s. And even before then, if you actually look at just working class families, everyone was working within the family and whenever the kid was ready to work um, from the time they were eight or so they would have a job as well so more often than not like when we call it the rat race today is mostly because of this post-70s era like this post-modern era but truth be told everyone's been working since the beginning of time trying to get up and out right and it's only due to the circumstances in America where you can create new technology and all of the statutes and the laws that you have where you can be an entrepreneur and, you know, in quotes, make it out, right? It's, not that, way. it's not that way in Europe, like where it's more imperial, in quotes, right, right, rather than... <clears throat> and when people actually... <laughs> it's actually not even... It's not even kosher to talk about money in France in most of eastern europe i mean western europe and in england as well so it's like it's just a different circumstance right but when we start talking about people wanting kids it's like you're deciding to grow a family but at the same time it's like also a decision to know that you're gonna have to work regardless and how you raise the kid is just gonna be the circumstances that you're raising the kid because anything can happen within that 18 years or 25 years, however you have your kids, right? With it, that you're raising that kid. So whether you have money now, you cannot have money tomorrow. Whether you have great health now, you won't have that tomorrow. So everything can change in 25 years because it is a quarter century of your life, right? When you say, I'm gonna have kids. And today we look at it as risk, but you know, before then, like we looked at it as a blessing. So. You know, it's not as cut and dry and all of this and all of that that people are saying. I wouldn't believe anyways. I just want to give a shout out to all the parents that are in this room. Um, Chris, you know, mm -hmm. listen to you and everybody else. For all of you guys who are raising the good kids out there and dealing with all the mm -hmm. hardships of, of balancing everything. I just want to give a shout out to all of you guys because our future all is the... literally in if, your hands. If you, listen... you guys are raising the kids that we're going to walk into the future with. So shout if, if out you to listen to my, if you listen to the podcast, right, where it was about my company, if you listen to what I was talking about, it was not about my company. 
It was about the kids and the mothers out there, right? As a, as a stay-at-home dad, people treat me like a circus freak. Either they think I'm a loser, they think I'm special and they want to help me, or they think I'm a hero. And meanwhile, while they think all those things, they completely ignore the woman walking behind me with three or four kids that literally could just be furniture to them. And I always have to remind them of the struggle that the moms have every day raising the next generation of kids and how fucking hard this job is. And Eric, you asked, why did I do this? Quite frankly, even if I was making a shit ton of money, I would want to be here because I don't trust people. I don't even trust this app. I'm on a phone, you know, a burner phone through cellular connection. I'm definitely not trusting a stranger with my most precious assets. So that's why I took time out. I know that's not a, a conventional thing anybody can do, but that was what was important to me enough to where I would live off of dirt if I had to. Mm. So, yeah, no, thank you. I was just it makes me think of thank the old you. days of, of big brother and big sister, you know, it, I mean, I know in the, in the world of, you know, trust right now, it's difficult with strangers and everything, but you know, I don't have kids, but um, it, it kind of reminds me. Yeah, I'm like, I'm 70 away. I'm 70 miles away from any family. So I had to build a community for me. So that community consisted of the moms and dads that I met through the mommy and me classes. I was in five to six days a week. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I've been a one man band. I don't talk to anybody except for you guys now. Um, and it was like, how do I raise kids in an enriching environment when I don't even talk, you know? And you so I knew I needed building. help. You guys should start yeah, building so a new I app with like literally yeah. big brother and big sister where people are, are kind of, you know, tested and make sure that there's yeah, some people talk, around that I'm can lend a hand. I'm talking to some people about that. That's yeah, what you an know, au pair is for, we, right? I would love like, to lend a hand to people that they needed help, you know, with their with their kids for a couple of hours, a couple of days or whatever, you know, in situations like that. It kind of goes back to the basics of using technology to go back to it takes a village. And maybe, you know, maybe there's going to be some form of uh, something like that coming up in the future. Who knows? I think that's a great idea. I was a big brother in, in New York for a number of years to a, a uh, young man. Actually, he was a kid at the time, and he, he um, you know, he lost his father. So, yeah, that's, that's an excellent idea. Now Facebook is your big brother. So boom. So watch this. That, that, and here's here's my point. In Istanbul, consider me a big sister. I'm here's my point. Guy. Here's the headline. CNBC. Okay? CNBC. Headline is, My kids get no screen time whatsoever, says Silicon investor Chamath Palihapitiya, the CEO of Social Capital and former Facebook executive. Says his kids still ask all the time because their friends have it all the time. Polly Hapatia says he does not want them. He does not want to feed them a device because that becomes a babysitter. He runs a $2.6 billion technology venture capital firm based in Palo Alto, California. He was an early Facebook executive and an early Bitcoin adopter. But Chamath Polly Hapatia told CNBC Tuesday he keeps his kids as far away from technology as possible. The device rules in his household, the well, founder and well, CEO. Good, good for him, but come on, there's uh, a difference between a, you know, executive with wealth and means and, a, you know, a wor working single mom. So, what a pretentious well, I, you know, for I'm, pointing out how I'm sure he has. Help some of us are able to do it other... though we're able to yeah, do it so right like it, it was a struggle that's true well, if that's that the, then then how the hell did people have kids home? before iphones evan right and my kid we, never we had kids in their room we were able to raise a family on a single father's salary with a mother who was raising the family in a traditional setting with two working households you don't have that 
opportunity with uh, right. You know, so iPhones came out in 2007. What were we doing in 2005 and four and three? Depends on the, 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 kids, the kids were outside. It's socioeconomic. What the hell was I doing as a ten-year-old running around outside in the grass yeah. all day? Bicycles. The yeah, that's where you're. Well, the, the question is, and But somebody is somebody hasn't really figured out the main point of this article is he's I'm, an executive at Facebook, and more than any app, he refuses to let his kids even sign up for yeah, Facebook not, not because the, he says. His own words, Facebook is poison for kids. Yeah, and Microsoft, Bill Gates had the same philosophy, and all of these tech executives don't let their kids have screen time. In fact, they send them to schools where there are no computers. If you look at the private institutions that they send their kids to, small classrooms, uh-huh. excellent teachers, no computers, no tablets. Ah, he, well, no oh, oh, he bring, you bring up a great point, but so does he right here. He says... Um, Go, you figure it out. Go outside. He says, Polly Apatia, who grew up in Canada after his family emigrated from Sri Lanka and was granted refugee status, believes that kids learn to thrive by having real life experiences. You figure it out. Go outside, skin your knee, fall on the playground, play a sport, lose at something, and then come back to me and we can talk about it. And we'll talk about it as rational human beings. And I'll try to tell you why that's a good thing that's happened to you. And that's what's that's that's what's not happening when you play fucking Candy Crush. You're not getting fucking the dopamine, but you're not getting your knee busted up and the kid down the street giving you a black eye and getting a bloody nose and maybe breaking a leg and all the shit that we did as kids growing up. And that's why when my company does something that they send me an email that I don't like, I don't claim that the you know I'm being assaulted. Or that's why yeah, when you see a, like an advertisement on TikTok saying smack your teacher, you think it's okay because you haven't had those life experiences. Right. You don't go, I, I don't go around slapping teachers because I would expect to be knocked the fuck out. Because that's what happened when I was a kid. You would get hit back. and But the kids today think they can go slap a teacher because they've grown up in this artificial reality where they never got their, they never got the shit beat out of them. I have to pop off, but Tyler, here's, the, here, here's how someone, reality. I'm sorry. The reality is, is that if, at this point, if you hit a teacher, you can hit a teacher and the police will come and they'll arrest the teacher, not the student. Yeah. Because we grew up when, if we talk back to our parents, you and I know that they could knock the hell out of us and yeah. then pick up the phone and say, now call the police and see what happens. Yep. That's you know? right. So, My so, dad so would have a the conversation with the police as a matter of fact. Is that we're, you, you, we're dealing with, uh, culture that has gone awry in some areas as, uh, with parenting. And I hear everybody on this stage talking about the, the blessings of having a mom and dad at home and one can stay at home and raise the kids while the other goes out to work because they make more money than the father or the mother. There are some of us that did have or still don't have that privilege of having two parents. To be able I didn't, to make I didn't have anybody at home. I didn't have anybody at home. My mom went to work at 6 a.m. No, 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 Chris, 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 that's Chris, different. Chris, Chris, I'm not going to let you get away with this. You just said that you made a decision, your decision. You, you are married. I'm not talking about your parents. I'm talking about the decision that you're making right now. So please I'm making do not it right try now. I'm making to it right now because something uh, okay, else. I have to leave in three minutes. But here's what has happened. And this is how someone explained it to me. Since the beginning of the time, 
we've operated as a family unit that had to go hunt and gather food to survive. And that closed a lot of feedback loops that made us feel satisfied and happy with life. The dopamine, all the neurotransmitters we receive from finishing a task, just go clean your room, go clean, you know, make your bed. Like that one Naval Sergeant or Naval Academy person says, you want to make a positive change in your life? Start off by making your bed because you start this positive feedback loop of working. And so back in history, before industrialization, your children were actually assets to you because they could help you in providing the work you needed for your farm, for your food, for everything. As industrialization happened, our children no longer became an asset. We started to view them more of a liability. And that's why I believe they're an asset that needs to be invested in. My little boy had a shit fit last night because he didn't want something. And I had to get extremely firm. I did not hit him or anything, but it was like, this is the law now, okay? The house is the disaster. You don't do anything until the house gets cleaned up. And that's the type of leadership, unfortunately, you need to do. And we, we let it go too far. Like, we let it go too far where, where me and my wife are at the end of the night saying, I don't even have 10 minutes for myself anymore. And so I took a look back and I said, well, here's the six hours a day we spend cleaning up after our kids. And they're old enough now to start cleaning up after themselves. That, I believe, is the first step towards this personal responsibility we're trying to build in humans. Sure, being there is one thing, but it's the personal responsibility. My mom wasn't around. That's what I'm trying to get to, is that I, our era still had personal responsibility. Because you know what? If you said somebody to somebody, if you said something, the N-word to somebody black, guess what? You were getting knocked the shit out. Fuck yeah. You know, if you were... You know, like, so you're not guaranteed words, right? And so like you learn personal responsibility. I'm so sorry, Irvin. I respect you a hundred percent. I wish I didn't just bounce out of this, but I have a team call. I have to get to love you guys. But but it's also personal responsibility combined with the cost of education, the cost of childcare, the cost of good schools. I mean, the cost of healthcare, these things didn't ruin us 20, 15 years ago. You know, you can afford a good child care. You could afford uh, babysitters, good, good babysitters. These things are killing middle-class America or am, do I have it wrong? No, you uh, have it right. Question. The school that you taught in, the school that you taught in the inner city, was this a conversation that they were having back in the day? You talking to me? Yes. The What conversation about Facebook being bad? No, no, about parenting. I don't know. I didn't engage with the parents. Uh, we had parent-teacher nights, and they never showed up. There you go. Thank you for saying the truth, because I was waiting for it. That's exactly right. I was heartbroken. I've got to tell you, that was one of the most heartbreaking moments of my life. I remember it like it was 10 minutes ago. I was getting, I was getting ready for my first parent-teacher night. I could not wait to meet my students' parents. And because I grew up with that parent teacher night thing and, you know, my parents used to come and escort me to my parent teacher nights. And boy, I, I, you know, was excited for days leading up to it. And then the day of it is there. <clears throat> and then in the lunchroom that day, I'm talking with the other teachers and I'm like, how is this going to go down exactly? Uh, you know, do we stay here the whole time until 5 p.m. when the parents get off work? You know, we, we finish school at 3 p.m. Do we wait here until 5? You know, what do we what happens between 3 and 5? Do we anything we need to do? You know, any special things I need to hand out at the front door, you know, when they arrive in the hallway? And they started laughing in the lunchroom. I'm like, well, why is everybody laughing? They said, nobody's coming to your room. I'm like, uh, what do you mean? Like, 
they're looking at me like, what planet are you from? Why do you think the parents are coming to your room? I'm saying it was parent-teacher night, right? It's tonight, right? It's like, yeah. I was like, right. So why are you laughing? They're like, they don't come to your classroom. Sure. And I was like, well, I'm going to be there. It's only two hours from now. I'm going to go get a Starbucks. I'm going to come back, you know, and wait till five o'clock and I'll see who shows up. One, one student's parents showed up. I had five classes, 30, that's 150 kids. One parent showed up out of 150 kids. And it was, and I said it one time before in this room, shame. The school, the school that I taught in that particular school was predominantly, I would just to put it statistically, it's about, I would call it 60, call it 60% black, 40% Latino, 1% Asian. And the, the one, parent who came was the one asian student that i had and, and tyler i mean in the, in the middle there class uh suburban thank you Massachusetts neighborhood where my kids were schooled every parent showed up to all the teachers nights still this is you know going back five to ten years so it's clearly socioeconomics i mean this is just what's dividing us Evan, they were what... probably you know a lot of them were probably working two or three jobs but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this I I was born in 1952 okay so I'm I turned 69 a couple days ago so here's the deal happy birthday when I, when I was growing when I was growing up my parents well my aunt because I was raised by a by the village because I'm the baby of nine kids and we're all born well most of us were born in California I was born in Palo Alto as my home old Stanford Hospital, the Hoover provision. But anyway, uh, what I'm, the point being is that my mom was a living maid in Atherton. So she didn't have the time because <laughs> she was working for someone else to go to those meetings. But I got shipped to Texas and my mother's sister, her, my aunt, was at every parent teacher's meeting from the time I started elementary school, which was about 1950 seven or 58 until I left there when I was 16 years old. So she didn't miss an opportunity to be there. There were certain parents in my neighborhood because I lived in an all uh, segregated neighborhood. We lived on in, in Bryan, Texas, Texas A&M was college station. So there was this, the other parents, there were parents there that couldn't go because they were working three or two or three jobs. They were being maids in somebody else's house where they didn't have to go. The father wasn't there or the mom wasn't there because our society had said, gee, if two parents are in the same house, you can't get social assistance, even though these people were working their butts off trying to raise their families. I just, I, I guys, I'm sorry, but this, I'm triggered here because I listen to this, to this stuff that's being spewed here and it doesn't relate to every friggin' person in the United States. Yeah, I, I, you're people right. That get, I people agree. that get pissed off about about Facebook and the crap that they've done. You know, I, I, I've, I've lived through AT getting broken up. I've lived through the cigarette crisis that we've gone through. And we're here talking about what's going on in tech. We're just going through another cycle where the sure. news media does all this crap they talked about the cigarettes. That meaning if the whistleblower didn't give us the information about what the tobacco companies were doing, where would we be now? 
So somebody's got to speak up inside of these organizations, whether we like it or not, and tell the truth and let the truth be known. And then we deal with the fallout. My name is Irvin. Thank you for letting me share. Sorry for being. No, I really. I, I appreciate it, Irvin. Triggered. Truth. That, that was real stuff. Much appreciated. Happy birthday, Irwin. Well, yeah, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Thank you. Happy <laughs> Thank birthday. you. Yeah. <laughs> 69 years young. That's Ooh. right. It's still going strong. Okay. Uh, Faraz found an article from Indian Express about a gaming phone for everybody called the OnePlus 9R, optimized for games. And now you're going to see the diversification of phones into different demographics like gamers. And this happened with PCs as well and laptops as well. And now it's going to come to smartphones. You're going to have gamer smartphones and you're going to have photographer smartphones. It's just going to have the world's best camera and it's not going to be optimized for the processor speed or the, you know, the other things that aren't important to that demographic. You're going to get different demographics of phones. So it's kind of an interesting point. I had not really thought about much before. The next one from Sharon is the U.S. warns of efforts by China to collect genetic data, citing a Reuters report. Is this a new article? I imagine it is. Let's check the date on this one. I just tweeted it out. October 23rd. That's new new enough. Bethesda, Maryland. Chinese firms are collecting genetic data from around the world. Part of an effort by the Chinese government and companies to develop the world's largest biogenetic database. American intelligence, that's the FBI, officials reported Friday. National Counterintelligence and Security Center said in a new paper that the United States needs to better secure critical technologies including AI, quantum computing, semiconductors, and other technologies related to the so-called bioeconomy. China and other countries are trying to dominate these technologies and are using both legal and illegal means to acquire U.S. know-how, says Michael Orlando, the acting director of the Counterintelligence Center and arm of the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. The U.S. private sector has long been in the crosshairs of China and other countries trying to steal U.S. technology and intellectual property. Other countries like Russia also remain a threat, but the economic might of China makes it the biggest threat, officials said. China believes dominating these areas will give it an economic edge, and American companies are also investing heavily. AI and machine learning hold the promise to revolutionize many aspects of life, including military operations, quantum computing, will allow countries to break the toughest encryption that exists today. And semiconductors are vital, not just for companies or computers, but for consumers' products. But officials are now also stressing intersectional inter, the intersection of technology and genetic and biological research as an area of competition and espionage. Edward Yu, who is the National Counterintelligence Officer for Emerging and Disruptive Technologies, said the Chinese government is collecting medical, health, and genetic data around the world. The country that builds the best database of information will have an edge on developing cures for future pandemics. Oh. And China. Anyhow. And China already has an advantage, he says. Beijing has a track record of misusing genetic data, the Counterintelligence Center said, citing a 2019 New York Times report on how China uses genetic tests to track members of the Uyghurs, a predominantly Muslim minority group. 
the interesting point that I made in the, when we met 10 hours ago is how the genetic engineering, which is a very huge issue, which we're now getting to the point where people can make and have made past tense uh, reconstituted uh, smallpox and horsepox in in non um, level four labs, uh, very notably David Evan at the University of Alberta five years ago. And the point is, you could make a genetic virus that takes into account if you have a genetic database of your very a somewhat homogeneous genetic population, you could minimize the damage that that smallpox variation might have on your genetic population. And so you might be inspired to create a, a, a very large database of your population. It, it's just the plot of the newest double saver. The new, is it part of the, is that the new movie? Yeah, the newest the 007 has the same plot. Right? The new yeah. 007 James Bond movie, yeah. that's the plot of the yes. movie? Yes. Oh, like get that. the fuck out of here. <laughs> Predictive programming. Oh, that's interesting. What's the movie called? Um, um, no Time to Die. 007, No Time to Die. I gotta Google this. Tyler, I think the interesting news is the Chinese government... Um, took control but, of, uh, I think, 70% of the Chinese output for rare earth metals. And uh, overall, China contributes 60% to the rare earth metals. So that's an interesting uh, interesting move by the state. I, I, I want to confirm what BB is sharing here about the plot. It's not of... smart part, but the, the main plot is the same. They have used a genetic... A virus that only kills certain uh, certain yeah. population. It's, true. The, yeah. it's a good movie, by the way. Great, great movie. You got to see it. You're confirming that that's the plot. Yeah, Spoiler exactly. Alert. A bioweapon containing oh, yeah. nanobots that infects like a virus upon touch. Here it is. New, uh, hold on. Virus. They program the DNA so it only attacks certain. A database yeah. of certain uh, individuals. Oh, so, oh, wow. Oh, wow. The idea, the idea is if you, if you knew what the president was susceptible to, you could shake their hand, their hand the president's hand, and only he would contract right. whatever it is that, that he was yeah, Where is well, the freaking scary music, that's actually Tyler. a true concern for the military. Where's the scary music? Okay. All right. Uh, next one is... Uh, well, that was from... Sharon, you know, that the U.S. warns of efforts of China to collect genetic data. The next one is also from Sharon, that TSMC had a big fire near its 5 nanometer site. Rumored price hike uh, to come as a result. The Taiwan Semiconductor... Starting in January. Yeah. So a big fire at TSMC is going to lead to even more chip shortage and higher prices. And the next one is from Cheryl from DW. People are eating roots and flowers. Oh, that was the famine in Ethiopia. And then Poppy has this one from Wired. The headline reads, Dystopia is among upon us. Are you ready? I, now, that's my kind of headline. That's my type of clickbait right there. Dystopia is upon us. Are you ready? 
from constant surveillance to algorithms that decide what we see, societies entering territory reserved for fictional dystopias. Here's how to push back, it says. The year is 2022. Robot dogs roam the streets beside police officers and decentralized currencies revolutionizing the economy. Digital citizenship and e-governments are emerging. Jobs are being automated and billionaires are commercializing space as Earth faces a record-breaking climate crisis. So far, so good. I'm with you. Keep going. When you zoom out, it's easy to see that American society is approaching a modern-day dystopia as the once sci-fi-worthy stories of environmental destruction, technological control, and loss of human rights and freedoms creeps to fruition. But when you zoom back in, it's not as obvious to see how these factors are impacting you on an individual level. The rapid growth and influence of technology, in particular, is taking control of your reality, and it can have a permanent impact on your personal identity. Unprecedented events that have unfolded within the past few years have revealed the flaws and weaknesses of the U.S. government and corporate America, whose actions have been have shown they don't always have your best interest in mind. Therefore, it's up to you to proactively adapt to this brave new world, starting with your everyday routine. Jesus Christ, this sounds like I wrote this thing. Yeah. The, gover- the government structures aren't going to help you. It's, it's up to you. Precisely right. The eerie, loss of individual- the eerie loss of individuality is looming right before your screen every time you passively press accept on a new privacy policy and turn a blind eye to what your data is being, uh, why your data is being collected. While it's easy to ignore the data tracking that has become so commonplace, Carolyn Shu the co-founder of Cyber Collective, an organization that champions data ethics, says those privacy pop-ups seem so inconsequential, but what we've historically seen with tech is that it starts very small and snowballs into something we didn't foresee. Although privacy advocates have been spreading awareness and fighting, fighting for regulations for decades, there has been very limited progress on data protection. The recently enacted California Consumer Privacy Act requires businesses to mandate global privacy control, a tool that allows California citizens to easily exercise their privacy rights online, but the clock is ticking for other states to follow suit. And it talks about all the different ways you can fight back about against this dystopian future. Interesting article. Thank you for that one, Poppy. And the next one from Wired, and the headline says, Blue washing seafood won't make the world more green. Recent public messaging encouraging people to eat more seafood conveniently omits information about the environmental impact of fishing. Okay. As well as the, the fact that plastic has now been found in human fetuses and human organs. So uh, not always uh, eating fish might actually be a good thing. So the mixed messaging is a little confusing. The next one is from the BBC. Is internet addiction a growing problem? Well, the, I'm imagining if you wouldn't write that headline if the answer was no. So it says, Cam Adair finally really realized that his addiction to video games was out of control when it made him consider ending his life. Right. And where are these video games? They need to police their platforms because people are going to kill themselves right right the these platforms need to put people are killing themselves playing video games more so than facebook so clearly 
the argument then is obviously we these platforms, these video games need to moderate their content to prevent the players from killing themselves, correct? Or the parents or the individual needs to take a little more responsibility. Haven't people died from social media um, cyberbullying though as well? I'm sure there's been a, quite a few ladies, or should I say young women, that have um, died from, well, not died, sorry, um, committed um, suicide due to the cyberbullying from Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. He says, I struggled with it for 10 years. I dropped out of high school, never went to college, and pretended to have jobs to deceive my family. I eventually wrote a suicide note, and it was on that night that I realized I needed to get help. I'm now... 300 or 3,860 day free from my gaming addiction, which by the way, they're engineered to be addicting. And how many headlines do we see in recent days trying to crack down on Facebook and its moderation and all the harms it causes? And how many headlines do we see about video games causing people to kill themselves? And the need for the video games to make their video games less addictive. Where is the whistleblower blowing the whistle that video games are addictive and causing people to commit suicide? Um, is are video games addictive though? Like, I, I They're engineered to be. Extremely, well, yeah. extremely well, addictive. No, because here's the thing, right? Because when the, I was obviously in university, I, I was in university for gaming and film animation right and i was just i was there when they were creating the algorithms and in 2012 we'll talk about games that um would every about i believe it's seven to 15 seconds something new would happen on screen to keep somebody engaged so that's the um they use that algorithm to continually tell the story and push someone forward to continue to stay on the platform right so check this out that's yeah go on check this out Korea, the shutdown law on video games went into effect November 20th, 2011. It applied to every online game service in Korea. Teenagers under 17 of age were not allowed to play online games between the hours of midnight and 6 a.m. The law affected some online social games and every online game service that required a resident registration number. China now has video game laws. Vietnam has video game laws. And Korea saw a decrease in suicides and depression once they placed those laws, by the way. And um, like my, my main point is that we've seen this um, for years now, right? When, especially with the GTA and Call of Duty, well, as uh, around the sides, I should say, in the UK, where it's like um, you're killing people, you're doing, you're using all of these automatic weapons and stuff like that. And, you know, um, one of the main things in GTA is to rob banks and... That's what people do with their friends and stuff like that. But um, people have already protested for video games to be less violent, right? And have their kids not be on there, which is why they have these ratings and all of these other things with video games. And yeah, like, but I would say that people here don't want video games to be even more monitored because you're deciding to buy the game and buy the PlayStation or Xbox. And there's a lot of personal decisions that are made, right? Sure. It's like, and when you're um, 20, I doubt your parent can tell you 
oh, you shouldn't buy this video game right, right now. My point so, is, in, in the thousands of headlines that we've read here in, in the past six months, I've never once read a headline. I've read hundreds of articles about how Facebook is so evil and needs to moderate itself and all the tragedies that, face, that are, Facebook are to be blamed for and how it needs to take more responsibility and control and not subject people to all this crazy shit that's causing them to become, you know, demon-possessed and whatnot. I've never once, out of those thousands and thousands of headlines, ever read anything even suggesting that video games need to be controlled in any kind of similar way. Oh, yeah. Where okay, we, yeah, we actually know that. for a fact, we, we, we know for a fact that, that gaming, it, it, it provides a level of dopamine, right? There's a reaction in the brain from yeah. gaming that we know it's been tested since 1998 there was a great article about it yet we've never made moves to sort of regulate that and so it makes it's to the point if we really care about children shouldn't we talk about the aspects that are actually impacting them directly yeah. well, there's you know, that but then there's those the games those games have been that's from like 20 30 years ago right when we were speaking about this but now the main games like fortnite um I, I would say that's the main one for kids today. But that aside, when it comes to GTA and Call of Duty, your kids shouldn't be having that game anyways, right? And that's what the gaming companies will say because they do have those ratings on them now. But with Fortnite, it's a whole different ball game. Like, it's a free game. There's all of these other things that come into it. But I would say that people do talk about Fortnite in that particular way and, you know, epic games and stuff. But... You know, it just is what it is with certain people and, you know, video games. But there should be regulations if people... By the way, we did have a whistleblower in the video game space in the last month. We have read articles related to video games. It's the... Uh, 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 what's that big gaming yeah, company? Yeah, it was the sexual harassment. Correct. Episode. The whistleblower was, we're blowing the whistle on video games. There's sexual harassment happening amongst the employees. That's the whistle that's being blown. Yeah, like, Me Too didn't really hit, like, video games and um, architecture, I was told, like, just with women that I know in those fields, like, but now, obviously, they're getting their comeuppance and stuff like that, so hopefully the environments won't be as toxic as they once were, but, yeah, like, out in my, like, class, graduating class, out of, like, 10 guys, there was probably point, like, 0.5 women so yeah there was about 30 to 50 of us and there was about five ladies that were in those classes but yeah it's um it's definitely a man's world in that type of regard but yeah like but yeah, as with every industry it's yes, all but what um the main point is that um video games have had those licenses and regulations on them now but when it comes to that sexual harassment, I think that's maybe more potent than, let's say, someone buying a game that's rated R and they're 12 years old or something. So the because video game, is, yeah, it says the U.S. National Library of Medicine now legally classifies gaming dependency as part of a wider Internet addiction. It defines this as excessively or poor controlled preoccupations, urges or, urges or behaviors regarding computer use and internet access that lead to impairment or distress. It, do they have a Facebook addiction section? Yeah, they do, but Facebook, this is all new with us, right? And obviously, as the Supreme Court 
like we saw with them, they wasn't even able to ask the right questions from Facebook, right? So we're kind of just getting into the groove of how can we regulate social media? Like it's like what Irvin said, it's like we're on, the, the whistle has to be blown. This is and new we're territory. Have to deal with the fallout, yeah. But the, the video game one has happened. Whether there's laws going to be made on it, it's, it's solely dependent on that particular region, right? But um, it seems like the East is doing a far better job than what we're doing. But there is no age restriction on particular content that you can see on um, Facebook and um, Instagram. You can literally just click a button and, yeah, you'll be able to see it because the internet is free at the end of the day. Notable lack of headlines and whistleblowings about video games with kids. If we're so concerned about the kids, these journalists really want us to know how harmful Facebook is for the kids. They're coming for our kids, but the the kids aren't on Facebook. They're on the video games. And you're not writing about that because you don't give a fuck about the kids. This is about you and your business that Facebook has taken from you. And now you're trying to gang up to get to put them out of business and get that money back. And just be honest about that. That is definitely, I definitely agree with that. But they're never getting that money back, honestly. But just just be honest about that. So the next one, how Coca-Cola, how can Coca-Cola solve its plastic problem? BBC from Poppy. The drinks company has been named the world's biggest plastic polluter. Well, yeah, it's also might be the what what could be uh, play a play a role in the world's biggest obesity epidemic. Coca Cola, and by the way, it's gotten so bad in some parts of South and Central America that it's leading to a kidney failure epidemic because Coke. Just stop drinking the thing. Done. Have you seen these? Have you seen the the articles about this, Sharon? The the kidney yeah. failure epidemic in Central South America, yeah. where Coke plays such a significant part of the diet. They they're using Coke instead of water because they don't have clean water. Anyone who's actually, huh? Sorry, I was going to say there's actually a very uh, depressing video uh, of an overweight or obese baby because it's been drinking cola its entire life it actually is is very large and very sick um and uh i think this is a big problem in a lot of the developing nations as as you just mentioned it's cheaper to buy cola than fresh water right that that should not be the case right coca-cola sells over 100 billion throwaway plastic bottles every year no, yes, okay. So many of there them. A guy, there was a guy in China who died after drinking an entire two liter Coke, like straight, and he just died. Like it was terrible. Did he pop a bunch of Mentos? <laughs> okay, that's funny. So many, <laughs> so many of them ended up, and I'm going to sue Coke and Mentos for that one. So many of them ended up as litter that new figures out Monday named the company as the world's biggest plastic polluter. Dear God. It's a problem that Samoa has begun to experience for itself after Coca-Cola switched from glass to plastic bottles on the Pacific Island earlier this year. The BBC Panorama program has been finding out what that means for a country too small to operate its own recycling plant. So. 
who's responsible for essentially littering, improper uh, displacement of waste. Facebook. <laughs> well, apparently it's it's the Coke 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 made you throw that bottle and made you not properly dispose of that bottle. Or Coke made the boat who took all of that waste and was supposed to take it to some proper location and their greed made them dump it in the ocean. So somehow magically Coke made that boat very greedy to dump that waste in the ocean. Facebook made me do it. <laughs> That's the most American statement of 2021 I can imagine. I saw it on Facebook, so I thought, why not? How Coke uh, is caught. Look at the phrasing of this. The BBC is finding out what it means. Uh, the problem is after Coke switched from. Where is it? Ah, here it is. So, so many of them ended up as litter. That new figures out Monday named the company as the world's biggest plastic polluter. These these bottles are these bottles are throwing dumping out of trash cans onto the highways. Hey Coke, please stop engineering your bottles to jump out of trash bins into the public. That's a real problem. It's they're ending up everywhere. I don't know how they do that, but they need to stop that. Personal responsibility. Oh, no, no, it's Coke. Coke, you're fucking plastic. You, your evil plastic is so fucking evil that it's jumping all over the universe. And we can't help it. It doesn't feel right to put it in the trash can. It's not my fault. It's not my fault that I'm not throwing it in the trash can. Coke, you need to take responsibility for your platform, your plastic. Please fix your products so that they don't end up everywhere we need to attach some kind of a lottery system to these bottles so that everyone who returns them has a chance to win something big <laughs> five cents that's what we used to do that's why glass worked so well i think not enough not enough anyway next one i love how the argument falls apart very clearly when you turn it into coke and plastic bottles like who, the responsibility versus the company and their responsibility to control their how people use their product. So, the next one, BBC. Ofcom orders phone networks to block foreign scam calls. UK networks agree to block almost all internet calls coming from abroad if they pretend to be UK numbers. Next one, Sodomini sends in this one that the UK wants to increase investment in tech in India. There you go. There you go. You figured it out. UK figured it out. British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss on Saturday said that the United Kingdom was keen on increasing financing inve financial investments in tech in India. Uh, Liz Truss, God bless you. You figured out what we have figured out. India is booming with tech. That is a huge opportunity. You go, girl. You go get that juicy, juicy money down there. You go invest in those Indian startups. That's genius. I love that. The next one, Poppy, Washington Post. Former Huffington Post journalist aims to make a NBA 2K for American politics. Politics Arena 
is a strategy game where players navigate Capitol Hill, amass power, and attempt to enact their will on the American experiment. Oh, that sounds genius. This, this, this sounds awful. I kind of like it. What Super does NBA trainer. 2K have to do with politics? I, I, I don't get it. I like, I don't, like I don't know. Forget the, the name is terrible. The name is terrible. It should be called uh, whatever Monopoly is for consumerism and capitalism. We need a new game for politics. So that you, you know, can like DC bill instead of Farm DC. Bill. There you go, something like that. There used to, there used to be a game called The Republic. Oddly enough, by the guy who now runs uh, DeepMind. Uh-huh. So, uh, uh, and that was a game where you try to overthrow a government and uh, do this kind of stuff. So, if this is the online extension of that, it'll be interesting to see how it actually fosters political discussions. Because you know I'm hopeful that this kind of platform can do that. You storm the Capitol. Like Call of Duty, but with the capital. I mean, that's the problem. Is yeah, that the good. video games are a much more interesting version of of like politics? Uh, Kathy Wood tells Jack Dor- tells that Jack Dorsey's def- sorry. Kathy Wood tells Jack Dorsey deflationary forces will eclipse supply chain havoc. God, I hope so. Deflationary forces will overcome the supply chain induced price pressures. Well, Jack, Jack just just talked about uh, inflation. He talked about a uh, what do you call it? A hyperinflation. Inflation. Hyperinflation. So I don't know how that squares the circle. But anyway. Yeah. Well, she believes that there will be deflationary forces that will overcome that we're not actually going into inflation like his data is showing him. Those numbers that you see before you, Jack. In your fintech company of all those cash registers across America, you know that software you've been building for the past ten years, where every you know shop across America enters in all the prices of all their goods. You know that system that you have that nobody else really has, that basically gives you an incredibly unique advantage to see actual inflation happening in real time. That you designed it for to do that. Yeah, that numbers that you have that those are those numbers are lying to you, Jack. There's no inflation happening. According to Kathy Woods, and then somebody had to on Twitter. This all happened on Twitter, where Jack said, "There's inflation is coming." She says, "I don't think so," and somebody explained her. Uh, actually, he has the data. He has a fintech startup called Square. It's a cash register digital system. He knows how much people are marking up their products. He knows what they used to charge for them. He knows what they're charging for them now. He has the data. That's not somebody you want to argue with on that point. Next up is Sundamini. We covered that one. So that brings us to the end of another fantastic tech news around the world. We're just six minutes past the hour. We will meet again tomorrow. Thank you to everybody. Um, Hold on, everybody. Alexandra has a room on blockchain. Oh, that's right. Yep. So we will see you at the Tech News Blockchain Crypto NFT News and Analysis Room starting now. Thank you. All right. Thank you.